listening to the voice of Howard Stern. Hello, you rotten little bloodsucker. This is Alice Cooper. Hey, this is Justin from NSYNC. This is Rodney Dangerfield. Uh, hey, baby. Hellers are gay. Hi, this is Jack. Just back up from the border for a short visit. You know what I'm talking about, pal? Hi there and welcome to another edition of The Horse's Mouth. You're in The Horse's Mouth and my name is John Teague. Well, the last time I did this, I was sweating in a hot box in Indonesia trying to um, do exactly what I'm doing right now, give you an intro. And uh, there has been a break in proceedings and I don't know if you're a regular listener to this podcast, my apologies, like life uh, just got Fast came back from Indo, and uh, well, the dog, my dog Billy. I don't know if you, you know, if you're a regular listener of this podcast, you would have heard Billy in the background and me waffle on about the dog, um, the Billy goat, uh, regularly. And came back, and um, she was crook, and uh, I came back, and I went away again for another week, and came back, and then I, did, I, I you know, when your dog crook, you just think it's going to pass, right? And and anyway, I in, took her to the vet and it wasn't just one of those things. Uh, she passed and it, uh, it, it happened so fast. It was like she, I took her to the vet and within a, a week later, uh, she couldn't even walk to the beach out of the car. It was heartbreaking. She had a really uh, aggressive blood cancer that she'd sort of been hiding in the Mark, the vet, said if it was any other breed of dog with the results that were showing in the bloods, it wouldn't, it wouldn't have been standing. Um, but just the fact that she was still standing there and wagging her tail and happy right down to the wire uh, is just a testament to the breed and also just what a beautiful dog she was. So that floored me. Uh, really did. She was only four and I really thought she was going to be around for, um, you know, a lot longer. But, uh, you know, that's life on earth. Uh, and um, death is a real part of life on earth. <laughs> you know, I'm always banging on about it. I'm always like, yeah, like, you know, look out the window, appreciate this shit, you know, and uh, fuck, when it comes knocking, it's just, it's never fun. Um, and, you know, uh, it's been a month now and, you know, you know. anyway, look, we all deal with grief and grief is um, one of those things that... That's part of living. It's part of living. So, look, um, that's not the only reason that I had a break. I also um, finally um, finished the film that I've been putting together for a long time, so hopefully I can talk about that more soon. Um, and, uh, yeah, so there's been a lot happening. I'm really happy to be back in the saddle, so to speak. Um, now, today I had the good fortune of speaking with Duncan Anderson. Now, Duncan Anderson is a good egg. You know, I always say the good egg. Um, but he is. He's the co-founder and CEO of a company called Ed Rollo. Ed Rollo. Um, Ed Rollo is inventing like how we are reinventing how we educate our children so currently, Ed Rollo, it's in 1,200 schools. Um, they employ over 200 people. Last year, they had a, 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 a raise, like a, a cap raise, as they say, of $40 million. He's in, they're in Melbourne, Sydney, and New York. Just to try and give you some scale and scope uh, of, of, of Duncan, like it's a big deal, um, and he is a real uh, progressive thinker. 
Um, it, like honestly, his brain works so fast. You listen to this, and you, I like, I was just like, whoa, whoa! Like, it's not often that you come across someone whose brain is operating at at that sort of speed. Um, and, and like, perceivably, to some degree, it's it's self taught. Like, I ask him a lot about like you know his mind and how he um can get it to such rapid like being able to operate at a high frequency. He calls it leveling up. Um, so anyway, today I had the good fortune of speaking with Duncan. Duncan, if you're listening, thank you so much for um, coming on the horse's mouth. I really appreciated chatting to you. Um, look, I won't waffle on anymore. I'll let you uh, enjoy the conversation that we had. And um, once again, apologies for the break in proceedings with um, trying to be regular on posting with the horse's mouth. I promise in 2023, I'll be more regular. Uh, I love doing it. Thanks for listening. See you on the other side. Okay. Two hours of crap. A complete and total farfarama. Pretty things are going to help. Do that because that's pretty interesting. Yeah, so I've actually, I don't know, you, you can tune the different inputs uh, and some of them are easier to tune, like food, exercise, and some of them are harder, like I'll say, so you have movement, food, you know, uh, and then sleep, um, but then also mental thoughts. Um, and I think mental thoughts are the hardest one to feed yourself. You can have an idea of what you want to feed yourself, but it's much harder to do that than I think it is food. Um, and sometimes you should have evolution. You're kind of slowly updating things and sometimes you should have revolution. And... I don't know, I, I realized that I'd been evolving what I was eating uh, as opposed to having like a revolution in, in it. And I was like, no, let's try um, a, a total break and see what happens to like your body. Does it affect your sleep, et cetera, et cetera. So I took a big, big change of food when I went to New York. And so what was the diet like pre-New York? I was pretty like considered. Um, so I, I have a focus sort of every year um, and one year it was health. And I thought it would all be physical health, but it, that part I thought ended up being easier to understand what to do. The mental health part is a puzzle that I don't know you can ever solve. Um, and so the, the food part, I, I sort of went and tracked all my eating and spoke to some nutritionists, et cetera, to sort of find out what they said. And so breakfast became this kind of like collection of different supplements Monday to Friday to offset the rest of my diet. Um, so then the rest of it, you could eat whatever from, well, not whatever, but... Yeah, so it was basically a bunch of supplements, um, which I can go through if you're interested. <laughs> How long's the list? Uh, it depends. So one of the things um, I've come to believe is, you know, carrots might be healthy, but if you only eat carrots, you're going to die of malnutrition. Right. And so you probably don't want to eat the same meal more than like three times a week um, because otherwise you're not getting enough diversity. Yeah. Um, so there's two main breakfasts, Monday to Friday, um, and one of them is one kind of so i basically dropped pro uh sort of you know a lot of protein i was being a, veg a vegan five days a week vegetarian one day a week uh, omnivore one day a week um and to offset omnivore. that omnivore yeah, it means you can eat anything yeah oh, oh not yeah okay carnivore essentially omnivore yeah yeah eat anything yeah yeah okay yeah uh, so I, I tried being a, a vegan for 18 months. Yes. Uh, and there are three main reasons that I've considered. One was the environment, one was my health, and one was animal you know, cruelty. Yeah. And the main reason I think all of them can be important is the environment. Um, but what happened, I also take my biomarkers, so I measured you know, my levels, like whatever, testosterone, et cetera. My biomarkers were kind of in a good range, and then they got progressively worse over the 18 months. And I spoke to the nutritionist, and they're like, you're going to have to eat some meat, Duncan. <laughs> you can't get away not eating any meat. Yeah. So, yeah, after that, I tried to tune my diet to try to figure out 
how to have it be optimally healthy, basically. Okay, so this is now we're in New York. Ah, uh, so growing up. Yeah, and so this is what you were like before New York. Yeah, and that's pretty good. That's pretty measured. I would have thought. Yes. And so then, if you're going to screw it down, yeah, what happened in New York? Well, part of it. So there's a company called Soylent, which is funded by A16Z, which is one of the biggest venture capital firms on earth, and it's like engineered food. Um, and you can't get it in Australia. There's a version of it in Australia called Aussie Lint, but I couldn't understand how they went about making their stuff. So I don't know where the, the root sources of the different you know vitamins came from because it's just because it says vitamin B doesn't mean it's good vitamin B or whatever. Right. And so I had access to something that I didn't have access in Australia. So I was like, I'm going to switch this up for breakfast. And then in America or in New York at least, there's a lot of healthy food that's very quick and easy to get to. And so I was like, I'm going to try what these things are and I'm going to see what happens. Yeah. Um, and so I switched it all out and see what's what. And my sleep improved a lot. I don't know if this is why, because of the food. Because I couldn't isolate back because you, you need well, only very one thing. And if you only very one thing, you can tell if that affected things or not. Yeah. If you vary too many things, you don't know what happens. Like what's the root cause? Yeah. 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 So did you stay five, one, one? Uh, well, so normally I sort of have six days a week of being very, very healthy. And then one day a week, all bets off. And so, so does that mean... Uh, so I will go out and I'll sleep in no, no bedtime, you know, I'll drink, etc. Yeah. Um, but, you know, you know, to me, it's sort of funny, like the, the day of going out um, actually is very good for mental health that time. Yeah. So, for instance, having a few beers with friends and laughing and staying up past midnight or something. But if I do that on like a Wednesday night, it's not really good for my mental health or whatever. Yes. Um, and so it's funny you know, what is good for your mental health sometimes is opposites. <laughs> and I feel that mental health is much harder to do well than physical health. Uh, physical health, yes. But also mental health for me is higher up the sort of stack than mental health. If my mental health is not good, my physical health is affected. Yeah. Mm. And do you think in turn when your physical health's good, your mental health follows? Uh, mental health then follows, it leads physical health. Mental uh, health follows... Or leads physical health. So more important is mental health than physical health, effectively. But do you think, like, sometimes... Like, for me, I know... Like... Uh, if I go and... If I'm not feeling very good mentally... Mm. And then I, I take the steps that I don't want to do... Because mm. when you're off... Mm. And you're struggling... The, the last thing you want to do is go for a run... Go to the gym, do mm. something... You know... And it's a forced way of snapping back to you know like you can just blast it out through physical that's to- interesting um I, I think everyone's mental health struggles are a bit different i suppose completely um so <laughs> yeah one example like i remember like uh, you know um eric schmidt ex-ceo of google says the key to longevity is to be a workaholic and one of the examples he put forward was henry kissinger who i believe is 99 now um i, I read a couple of his books recently but the one most recently was on leadership and so for me um I, yeah, there's plenty of people that are in their 90s that aren't paragons of physical virtue, um, but that are really well there. Like, I don't know, Warren Buffett doesn't exercise well, doesn't eat well, but seems to have all his mental faculties. Um, for me, with work and mental health as an example, the stress levels can be very, very high. Yeah. And the stress being high leads to me not enjoying it, not sometimes being enjoyed would be around, not being able to sleep, creativity goes down. Yes. And then you get in this kind of negative feedback loop where yes. being tired means that you feel like you're not getting enough done, so then you want to work more and it's harder to like not work, etc. So one of the main battles is to try to be able to have my mind switch off. Yeah. Um, and then you can kind of relax and, and calm, if that makes sense. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And so I have good days and bad days like everyone else, but I suppose frustration... Um, tiredness 
you know, and other things that were things that get to me. And then you kind of get in this, like not enjoying it, unhappy space, but not unhappy, I suppose, because you're fighting the black dog Churchill style, yeah. but unhappy because you're not getting what you want done sort of from that perspective. Did you see the, the documentary Stutz? Um, Stutz? It, I don't know how to say it. S-T-U-T-Z. Is it the one with Jonah? Um, yeah. I watched half of it. So not all of it. Yeah. And what did you think? I thought that some of the models that they put forward, they were quite useful. Um, so to me, I think, you know, they say all models are wrong. Some are useful. And yeah. so you should have different models. Sorry, different say that again. All models are wrong. Some are useful. Right. So they're kind of abbreviations. And so everything works somewhere. Nothing works everywhere. And so again, like being very healthy most of the time is good for me. But then some, you know, one day a week, eat chocolate, you know, drink alcohol, stay up late, break bedtime rules, you know, whatever, eat way more calories than one should, et cetera. Yeah. That's actually good for my mental health. And so yeah. it's, it's funny. It's like, no, I get yeah. it. Yeah. 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 Mm, you got to let the dogs out for a run. Yeah. You know, you're <laughs> a human being. You have yeah. like, we ha- you can't be just a robot. You need yeah. to, uh, definitely be. Yeah. And, like it's hard to I understand because it's a fine line to want to get a whole lot out of life mm. and achieve it's hard you know modern life's hard and you want to you send benchmarks and you want to achieve to a certain level everyone has different personal things like that yep and then so you seem very disciplined mm. and if you are disciplined and regimented the whole time then you stop feeling human mm. and you need to be a bit of a brat sometimes to feel human yep you know we are all things yep and I think you've got to explore all the things. I think, yes, yeah, so a discipline, I feel there's, there's a few different schools. Like one, there's like a tank and you've got a certain amount of discipline time per day. And once it's run out, you can't sort of have discipline anymore. Another one is like discipline is freedom, Jocko Willenick. Like the more discipline you have, the more discipline you have. So each thing you get to do. Yeah. And then the other one is like don't work against your environment. Like if you want to, I don't know, not eat chocolate, don't have chocolate in the house. Yeah. Um, so it's just don't put something that you want to do easily within reach. And I think that it's all sort of part of three. So all three of them have some, some, some validity. So it's like, you know, it's not one of them that is like the, the way that everything works. Uh, and so to me, they say first you make your habits, then your habits make you. Um, and... I'm constantly trying to build the right habits to get them to be subconscious. And once a habit is built, it doesn't take any energy for me to continue it. To build the habit takes energy. Yeah. And so I feel over time, you can hopefully have a good set of habits set up and then your life is kind of running well. It takes effort to get that. But then once you're there, not that much effort to stay there. So I think quite disciplined, um, but was not this way. It took years and years and years to build um, but then the new habit, as an example, like you should have time which is planned and you should have time which is, isn't planned. And so it was very hard to do unplanned time or serendipity five years ago because any time that I wasn't planned felt like waste and I spent like at least 10 years building myself to be able to do what I wanted to do. Not like, oh, I want to do this, but I procrastinate. So procrastination wasn't a problem. But then you need to have like, I was procrastinating about procrastinating as an example. But you actually should have time. So Saturday for me is Duncan Day where I try to not have a plan, yeah, um, where I okay. sleep in, whatever else it is. Yeah. No discipline, if you want to call it that. Yeah. Whereas the rest of the, the week is normally disciplined town. So, yeah, the opposites is hard. So you, you seem like you're thinking on an expansive level and you say that the universe is conspiring to help. Yeah. Sometimes. It's certainly sometimes conspiring not to help. Yeah, right. Yeah. <laughs> so you think um, it's conspiring not to help to teach you a lesson? Or do you think there's just the, that's the yin and yang of the darkness and lightness of the universe? I'm sorry, I'm just trying off track right now. Yeah, no, no, not at all. Like, um, I don't know. Like, I suppose ten years ago, I I kind of thought that my body was just like a life support system for my consciousness, 
and I didn't really treat it as an equal. My consciousness was the most important thing and the biology was this kind of like ancient thing that we were one day going to get out of or whatever. Um, and but so the consciousness I, would stay. So, you know, I read Ray Kurzweil's The Singularity is Near, uh, maybe about 2010, um, 20, 2009. Um, and so each book, like like, is dependent upon how big a gap it is versus your understanding. And so at that time, it blew my mind more than any book I'd ever read. And I still would say it's the book that's blown my mind the most. Can you just say what that book is again? It's The Singularity is Near by Ray Kurzweil. Singularity is Near. The Singularity is Near. Okay. Yeah. Uh, so Ray Kurzweil is a sort of famous futurist. He works at Google now in part of the AI division. Uh, he's written a number of books. Um, and this is effectively talking about why general artificial intelligence will happen. Um, and it goes through many examples. I think it took something like five years to write and something like five to 10 researchers. Now those numbers are gonna be wrong, I'm sorry. So this is like a very, very well researched book. It's someone who's done a lot of you know, entrepreneurship and now works in artificial intelligence at Google, who uh, you know, most people would regard as a leader in this field. So this is not some sort of lay person. And there are many components to it, but one component they go through is they effectively talk about how they reverse engineering the human mind. And so one path to a general artificial intelligence is to just reverse engineer the human mind. You don't have to invent it new because this can invent, you know, your human mind. And so if you can reverse engineer the whole thing, then you should be able to understand its secrets if you want and then be able to have that work. And so before that, I had heard a little bit about artificial intelligence, but I hadn't heard a lot. And after this, I was effectively assured beyond reasonable doubt that we would be able to reverse engineer the human mind. And it was just a question of how long it would take. And that once that was done, it was very likely we could have intelligence because if we reverse engineered the whole thing, we should be able to understand how it worked. Is this Blade Runner? So, uh, well, more. It's not just Androids, um, although I haven't watched Blade Runner in a while. But yeah, it, it was pretty cool. Um, and that also, not just that, we should be able to upload our consciousness to the next thing. So, Hold on. But what's to say that's not reincarnation already? I suppose, uh, if you think reincarnation is a thing. Hold on. And yeah. I, I know I'm just jumping all over the place. Yeah, yeah, this go, stuff's go. fucking crazy. <laughs> Are you frightened by AI? Uh, it's inevitable. Um, so to me, technology advance is inevitable. Um, and most of the time, it's agnostic. So for instance, is the technology good or bad? It's normally both. So it can be used for good, can be used for bad. And so you've got to try to hope to find a way to have it be a net win or to ameliorate the components of it that can wipe humanity out. Yeah, I've seen Terminator. Yeah, so well, that's the thing. So, you know, we should be able to print a pathogen, you know, relatively soon. So it used to be like, I don't know. So what's a pathogen? So something like COVID. Um, oh, right, yeah. Okay. So like, it can yeah. go and take down everyone. So it used to be like the biggest technology was like fists. And, you know, if you're very good at fighting, you can probably kill someone, right? But you can't probably kill all of humanity. Yeah, right. Yeah. Then you've got a stick, you might be doing more of that. And then you get to a sword. Then you get to a gun, an automatic gun, and you can probably kill 100 people or whatever. Then you get to tanks, etc. And so the first time humans could kill all of the humans with, with nukes. Yeah. So after, you know, whatever, the 100-year war, you couldn't wipe out all of humanity. Even after World War I, you couldn't wipe all of humanity. But after World War II, you could. And so slowly, the technology power has increased each time to the point where now we have the power to blow up all of humanity. We didn't before. But it took nation states to build nukes. But, you know, the amount of actual technology should be able to get you know, to the point where one person can have that technology to wipe everyone out. So if you have, I don't know, 10 people, does one person want to kill everyone? Probably not. 100? Probably not. Once you get to a million, there's probably one really unhappy person that would want to wipe everyone out, but they don't have the technology right now. You get to 7 or 8 billion people that we have, for sure. And so if one person can print a pathogen, they just go online, find the thing, right. release it, we all die, yeah. then we probably are dead, right? Yeah. So the technology advance means that the power that any one individual person has is going up over time. 
And that unfortunately probably means that we can die. So if we can't either control people like Tom Cruise, what's that minority report style, yeah, yeah. we're probably all dead or we have to get out of this, you know, biomechanical operating system. Otherwise, you know, we're pathogens are going to take us down. So technology advance is inevitable effectively. And you've got to try to make it work for you, not you work for it. It fucking scares the pants off me. <laughs> like seriously, like I, I, like I look at all the things like, um, you know, you say minority report and it's <laughs> like almost like, you know, uh, the thought police, <laughs> you know, um, Orwell, Orwellian future yeah. and I'd like crime. I, I, yeah and I think that you know nature is such a big part of my mental health mm. and I'm so scared that we're slowly just drifting from that to this augmented reality that's not well it's a, like I listened to Facebook Zuckerberg say it's a reality it's just a different one mm-hmm. uh, and I'd never thought of it like that mm. and so now we've been fed this new reality and it's just like it I don't know. It's like it hurts my head, mm. and just listening to you right then was just mind bending. Uh, I had so many questions, but I didn't want to interrupt your flow. And now mm. I've lost where mm. we were. But the AI thing—it's uh, not a thing. It's a real thing. I mean, it's like today I found myself talking to Virginia about it, and I was mm. like, I don't even know what fucking AI is. Like, mm. I feel like in my mind, my imagination is the room full of smarties, mm. and they're all really smart. And they're mm-hmm. just conspiring to fuck us up. Mm-hmm. And I, but like, I don't know what AI is. And yet I signed up to a, I did a podcast, I don't know, five years ago. Mm. And for me, it was one of the most amazing podcasts, mm. but the sound was fucked. Mm-hmm. And so therefore it really fell by the wayside. Mm. And now Adobe, like we were talking about before, mm. Adobe has a Adobe podcast, which is an AI driven website mm-hmm. that you plug your audio into and the AI fixes the fucking thing. Yeah, cool. So do you use that with your podcast? Is that no, where you were going before? Because it's a whole new platform. Yeah. And it'd be wiping this system out. You don't need good mics. You don't need, it, it can just do. That's a form of narrow artificial intelligence people would normally say. So I'm sure there's many, many different definitions, but artificial and general intelligence, as I understand it, is where the intelligence can improve itself. So right now we train something to... What is the intelligence? A computer, a chip? Uh... It doesn't matter. It can live in anything. Um, can it live so, in an apple? Yeah. Oh, no, well, it, um, it needs... It depends. So, so it could be bio. So, for instance, they could reverse engineer. So we're like, I don't know, a car is like whatever, steel, you know, programming, et cetera, and humans are DNA, amino acids, proteins, et cetera. So it's a different type of technology. Um, and consciousness, they don't necessarily understand it right now, at least the best of my knowledge, they don't. Um, what AI fully is. No, what, how our minds work. Oh. So most people would say that a human mind is the most complicated thing in the known universe. Um, but at some point... Wouldn't the, you say dark... Sorry to cut you off. Yeah, go, bad, go, go, but go, wouldn't go. you say dark matter is? We don't know what that is. There's many things we don't know what they are. And so we're slowly getting to know more and more stuff. Um, but... As I understand it, and I think this is a definition I like, artificial general intelligence is where it can upgrade itself. So it's kind of free. So there's an intelligence that can level itself up. Now, some humans can level themselves up. They can learn how to learn. They can invent new things. So if you look around, unless you're like, I don't know, in the middle of the Amazon or something, almost everything you look at is built by humans. And there was always a first one, a pioneer. And so I believe that almost all humans can also be pioneers or inventors and do things themselves. But at the moment... The, so, for instance, chat um, GPT is just an average of the past. It's not really inventing anything new. It's just being trained on massive data models. Um, and so at some point, 
they will be able to invent new things. Uh, you know, Ray Kurzweil thinks that'll happen sometime in the mid 2030s. That was the person in the book that I read that sort of blew my mind. Um, and I don't know when, but it feels like if humans can do it, then we'll be able to invent technology that can do it at some point. It's just a question of when. Um, so that's what I would consider artificial general intelligence. Intelligence can then in- improve itself. So you can hand the baton over. So it doesn't need humans to level it up, if that makes sense. Yeah. yeah. So the way you're explaining it right now, to me, makes it sound like that maybe it could save us from ourselves. Yep. Uh, from this polluted mess that we're creating. Mm-hmm. Or it could kill us. Yeah, they say it's either the best thing or the worst thing. Right. Um, and so that's why some people, and this is my characterization again, it can either start separate from humanity or it can be from humanity. And so one of the characterizations of why I believe Elon is building Neuralink is because Neuralink is a way to be able to read and write into human minds at an individual neuron and synapses level, so full resolution. And that's one way to be able to reverse engineer the mind. And so if you do that, then AGI or artificial general intelligence can be started from humanity. So we're the seed from which it grows as opposed to growing from somewhere else. So one of the examples people use is if we're building a road and there's an ant nest in the way, we don't care, just bulldoze the ant nest, right? Because we don't consider them to be on the same level as us and so that there's no moral problem with this. And so if, for instance, AI comes not from us and it sees that there's a human city and it's getting in the way, it just bulldoze the city, right? Um, We don't have negotiations with ants or with with, dogs about whatever it is we're going to do. Um, we do with other humans. And so Sometimes. one strategy to make AGI friendly to us yeah, yeah. is to have it come from us yeah, yeah. and then it has our morality and it can empathize with us much better. It also could be the best strategy we're aware of to be able to figure out what the magic is of our consciousness or being able to learn how to learn is to reverse engineer the mind. So we want it to be friendly because if it isn't, you know, we're not going to be able to stop whatever it wants to do. And so but therefore have it be a development of us. So it starts where humans end, if that makes sense, and it goes up, 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 up from there. Um, and so that seems like a reasonable approach to me. And so as such, human brain interfaces, <laughs> push on them. Yeah, so unless it's a Genghis Khan. Well, I mean, and it doesn't care anyway, but we don't know. It could yeah. be good and bad. Okay, so yeah. um, you have a background in engineering. I did do engineering at university, but I have never worked in engineering. Do you think that this helps you understand this? Because you seem to have a pretty good grasp of it. If anyone I've spoken to, you seem to be able to break this down better than anyone because I've asked a lot of people Uh, about, what is this AI? (laughs) Yeah. Um, Well, I don't know. Like, I read a lot. Um, So so to me, learning the major modalities is reading, thinking, talking, writing, building, user testing. You just cycle through each of them. Um, And... So I suppose over time, like I think your mind is the sum of the upgrades that have been done to it. You can do the upgrades to it or you can have others do the upgrades to it. So your mind is upgrades and upgrades is quantity times quality. And to me, probably there's two types of learning that I think of. One is really specific to say the business I'm trying to build. So in this case is education with Ed Rollo and other stuff is just following my nose, whatever is interesting. Um, and over time, you kind of hopefully fit things together and have it make sense. But yeah, if you don't write about things as an example, you're often just loading the pantry full of ingredients and you're not in synthesizing anything. It's just analysis, not synthesis. So, yeah. So when you say writing, do you mm. go out, like, is it a stream of consciousness or is it like I am going to write an essay on this, what I'm thinking about with a beginning, middle and end? It depends. So I have a blog, um, which is Cloud Streaks. Um, and the type of writing that happens in there, which is like indentations, models, equations and other stuff is 
what I would normally be doing. But the vast majority of what I do and write is not public. It's just sometimes it's just for me. Yeah. Sometimes it's just for like a small group of people. Sometimes it's for all of Ed Roller as a company. And sometimes I have it on the web for anybody to, to look at. Um, but that's normally drawing upon stuff that I have read and trying to piece them together somehow. So, yeah, it's just writing is a, what I would consider to be high-quality thinking. Um, so I often say thinking is confusing, writing is clarifying. If, if I'm confused about something, I just sit down and write, whatever it is, and normally I'm able to make progress. Um, most problems don't have a definitive solution, so you just level up your thoughts, like you know, level one to level two to level three. But, yeah, writing I found it very, very, very useful. It's incredible. Uh, like mm. I, I don't know. If, are you familiar with The Artist's Way, the book? Maybe. I think uh, I like I've heard of it. I don't know if I've read it. Six-week work, 12-week work through or whatever it is. Okay. It's a beautiful book. Cool. And it invokes creativity in anyone. Doesn't, it doesn't matter what you want to be and it doesn't matter where you're coming from. It just helps mm. bring out a creativeness. And part of that is to do what's called the morning pages and it's this mm. stream of consciousness, yep. three full A4 pages getting out oh, of yes, bed. I have heard this, yes. And that's just one of the, one of the tools. Yep. Um, but it seems to be the one that, uh, I always get stuck on. Mm. I, I just really enjoyed that process. And I went through a chunk of, you know, I, can't, I can never stick to something full mm-hmm. time. Mm-hmm. But I go through ebbs and flows. And last year I did it for, I don't know, three or four months. Cool. And I noticed in that three or four months a lot of the things shifted and changed mm. and uh, I felt good. And then, you know, you feel good, you drop it again. And then, <laughs> um, But it came up in watching that doco the other night. He was all about writing. Yep. And it was one of the pyramids. It was like if you can um, write and get it out it helps you get closer to your subconscious and really you want to know more about where you where you sit in alignment with your subconscious and i found that i was like i gotta start writing again you know Mm. uh and it's just fascinating hearing you say that 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 uh through the writing what did you say you said writing is thinking is confusing writing is clarifying that one that yeah it's unreal yeah so they say that you have four to seven working slots of memory in your mind uh, so seven, that's why phone numbers were often seven digits long. Say that again. There, there are four to seven working slots of memory in your mind, which okay. means you can hold four to seven different pieces. But it, the bigger each piece is, the, the lower the number. Um, and so if you're wrestling, so it's like a small problem has, let's just say you have four slots of working memory in your mind. These are all abbreviations. It's like a computer. How much RAM you got? Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> um, if you, a small problem has four or less and a big problem has five or more. So some problems, the more you think about it, the more confused you get. So you've got four in, then you add in a fifth one, and then one pops out. And when you're considering those new four, your synthesis of them changes. And then you add in a sixth one, and one pops out. So the more you think about it, you can't grasp all the pieces at the same time. But when you write, you're able to put those pieces down for you to be able to see them. And you can actually normally wrestle with more than four pieces. You can get them into a place that makes sense. Um, so that enables you to hopefully see the problem in its entirety and then to synthesize a, a proposal for how you're going to move forward here. And so to me, almost everything you see around you is just the most upstream thing is knowledge or human thought. And writing is a form of codified human thought. Um, and so if you are able to think better, you should be able to do basically everything better because everything is just downstream thought. Even like moving, like surfing or whatever, is partially thought. So if you want to write about surfing, you might think about it in a way that you haven't before. So to me, whether it's journaling, you know, whatever else it is, going therapy, that's just a form of verbal writing. You're, you're having a, you know, a two-way written conversation with somebody like we're doing now. Um, and so I think you should have a conversation with yourself each week. Um, and writing is the best form of being able to have a conversation with myself that I'm aware of. 
man do you have a mentor or something how like you seem very evolved ah thank you (laughs) yeah no it's it's not often that i like in even just in life you know like i know a lot of thoughtful people but you're very you're very like on the next level down okay or up i'm not sure which way you want to put it (laughs) both probably yeah um well i mean i think hopefully you have lots of mentors but, um, you know, Socrates, the good to learn from everything and everyone, the average from themselves, and the stupid already know everything. And so I like to believe that, you know, that often the best way to learn something is to teach something. Um, so sometimes you're just trying to teach somebody something, like you learn about it a lot. But I listen to a lot of podcasts. I speak to a lot of people. I do a lot of writing. I have sort of systems in my writing where I'm sort of normally about a year behind is one of them. So I'm looking at what I was thinking stream of consciousness style a year ago. And... They say, you don't learn from experience, you learn from reflecting on your experiences, John Dewey. And so to me, there isn't a sort of, I suppose the system always updates, but also I'm not necessarily trying to be too systematic. Um, So yes, I think I have lots of mentors. Sometimes that's me trying to help somebody. Sometimes that's me speaking to somebody. So as an example, something like this, I find very useful to, to find time to think about things. And so me trying to explain certain things helps me understand them. Um, And that's what's called the self-explanation effect in, in education. So all right, Ed Rollo. Yep. Now, I, I tried to put my head around it. Let's go back to what was the catalyst <laughs> for you to even conceive <laughs> what this. Can I? No, I'm not even going to have. I'll have you explain it to me. Sure. Um, Ed Rollo has changed massively since the beginning, and so the conception to now is two separate things almost. And so one of the things I think is life is not necessarily about ordering from the menu well. It's more about making new items for the menu. Um, so when we started, what we're doing today wasn't like one of the five things that we thought it could be, and it took us version two, version three to get there. 90% of what we're doing today was beyond the realms of conception when we started this 10 years ago. Um, and so... Isn't that wild how that happens? It's incredible. Um, but, I mean, like, so, I don't know, 1900. At that time, I think about... 30% of people were farmers and 40% of people were in manufacturing. And now 1.3% of people are farmers in Australia and we export food. And then what are you going to do when you're not farmers or you're not doing manufacturing and 12% of people are in manufacturing? Well, you're going to be a website maker. You're going to be a yoga teacher. You're going to be a podcaster. You're going to make digital education. Like, what is that? The laugh, right? And so the jobs today, I don't know what percentage, but probably like 80% did not exist 100 years ago. And so to me... This is kind of the fun. It's like, oh my God. I, don't, I think that I didn't realize this at all. I thought some people made new things, like made new knowledge or whatever, but like 0.1%. And the rest of us just like learned what they had done. I didn't know that I too could make new things. Uh, and so I think we want to teach people that they can be pioneers, um, that instead of learned helplessness, learned help yourselfness. And I think the mindsets that people have are really important. Uh, Joe Bowler, who's one of my heroes, says that mindsets are psychological prisons. Um, I didn't realize that whether you know it or not, you're kind of bound with a whole lot of different mindsets. I haven't, I'm not answering the Ed Rollo question. I know I said get this, but like... No, no, no. This it's is it's great. really yeah. fun to kind of realize that you can make things yourself and that you can build a company as an example and you just, you just make it up as you go along and that's kind of always the way. Um, and yeah, the plan, you always have a plan, but the plan is almost always wrong immediately <laughs> it just goes you make it and it's like maybe it's like 9% good and the next day 89% good and the next day 88% good and then like three months later you gotta make a new plan because the old plan is totally out of date and it's, it's not relevant anymore hmm. so 11 let's say 12 years ago yeah what were you up to uh, at that time i was working at google 
Uh, were you? Yeah. What were you doing for Google? I was in a team called Strategy and Sales Operations. Um, so at the time, this is in my abbreviation, there's kind of two halves to Google, engineering and non-engineering. Uh, so everything else, non-engineering is like sales, marketing, finance, etc. Um, so the engineering was definitely the sort of premier engineer in, um, division. Uh, whilst I did do engineering at university, I wasn't in that. I was in the non-engineering half. Yeah. And I was working in the Australian New Zealand part, and this was kind of like internal management consulting for that component. Uh-huh. So my boss was an ex-McKinsey partner, and his boss was an ex-McKinsey partner as well. Um, so that meant a sort of random doing doing random stuff <laughs> yeah. for them. Um, yeah, that's what I was doing. And did you learn a lot? Yes and no. Um, it's a great company. I was very very grateful to be part of it, but I got bored pretty quickly, um, and. I kind of realized that, well, so I came to believe that some companies are good for the world. I think Google's a very good force, but no company's 100% good. Like maybe Google's 9% good, 10% bad or something. What would the 10% look like? Well, I think that they unintentionally have things that don't necessarily show up and work right. So for instance, I think that part of the YouTube policies have unintentionally ended up making the world worse. Um, So... There was a, a goal at one time, as I understand it, to have a billion hours watched a day. And they didn't necessarily care which hours. Just like with Facebook, it was like time on site. Um, and some people are able to direct and figure out what good information is for them, that, that what a healthy information, what unhealthy is, and others aren't so much. And so this was a good thing for some people in the world and a bad thing for other people. Um, and so I feel that they set, they, they know they set DeepMind loose on it to optimize what the recommended videos were and that this created filter bubbles and other stuff for some people and, and radicalization of some people. And it set other people free um, and helped them learn about things they wouldn't have otherwise learned about like education or artificial intelligence. And so it was both good and bad. And I feel that they unknowingly did the bad stuff that wasn't intentional for them. So yeah, that's one example. I'm sure there are many, yeah. Yeah, and so do you think like um, did leaking people's did, did 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 they get in trouble for leaking like and privacy and all that sort of stuff like that as well or was it? I think almost everyone's probably been hacked at some point. <laughs> um, no, no, well, weren't they selling like people's? Not that I'm aware of. No, okay, they weren't part of. It. No, Google I think has the highest of moral standards, but good intentions don't necessarily lead to good outcomes. But I think it's unacceptable not to have good intentions. And if you, if you have bad intentions, I don't think you have people stick around for very long at, at a company. And so this is a company where they've you know, pretty much had more money made than they could spend since the beginning. So they also haven't had to worry about money like some companies do. Like for instance, I think Ed Rollo needs to worry about money much more than Google did. Uh, and so they were able to have- Ed very, Rollo needs to? Yes. Yeah. So um, yeah, um, they were able to have high morals because for instance, money wasn't as much of a worry as it is for many, many companies. Uh, at Google, and they should have, and they did. So I think Google is a great company, yeah. So, Ed, okay, great. Thank you for clarifying. <laughs> Ed Rollo is a learning platform. Is this correct? Okay, so Ed Rollo, when it started, is basically, we create education resources for secondary schools. Initially, it education was... Education resources for secondary schools. Yes. Yeah. Okay. Uh, initially, it was YouTube for VCE or HSE. So VCE is year 12 in Victoria, HSE is year 12 in New South Wales. Yeah. Um, and then we ended up turning into making textbooks you want to call this but they're they're both printed and digital and normally hybrids you can get a fully digital version or you can have a printed version and so the goal is to improve education as much as possible um and if you want to improve education as much as possible you want to influence as much time spent learning as possible and so the core resource is normally historically a textbook Um, if you make a high quality resource it can influence up to like 80 percent of learning time 
if you make a low quality resource, it might only influence 10 or 20% of learning time. So our goal was to make very, very high quality resources. Price is what you pay, value is what you get. We would charge the same as existing resources, but hope to offer significantly more value. Um, so as an example, our resources are typically longer in pages, the printed stuff, and they have extra features. That doesn't make them better. It's not about like some sort of feature, you know, the more features wins. You gotta have quantity times quality. Um, and so I like to believe we make the highest resources, in, highest quality resources in market. Um, and as such, hopefully, you know, get used significantly. Um, so this is the goal, to improve education significantly um, by making the best quality resources possible. So do you, okay. So you're helping year 11 and 12 students. Now uh, seven to 10 as well. Okay. So, so I'm helping year 11 and 12. You, you, you are an outreach for those that aren't getting what they need within the schooling facility to uh, delve deeper, or if they are getting what they need and they need more, you, you can benefit on all levels. It's like, me personally, I'm interested in what you're saying because I yeah. struggled at school. Yeah. Big time. Yep. And um something just didn't work and mm. i think it's now i had dyslexia and it wasn't picked up and mm. um i don't know what it is but i know when i'm writing i drop letters in front of not, like things and everything's kind of back to front sometimes and i kind yeah, of yeah very mild dyslexia too yeah and so uh that reflected at school didn't go so great so do yeah. you does that income like do you help people on on with those sort of disabilities as well yeah, so um, where the company started... Sorry, that's very no, selfishly no, driven, no, no, isn't no, it? It's good, it's good. Where the company started and where the company is today are two quite separate things. And so it's kind of hard to conflate. We have what are considered to be three separate products. And even though Enrollo is one company, not we, we don't do one thing. So I'm just going to kind of talk about the most sort of recent products. So these are fully integrated one-stop shop resources, which we call Mustangs. Um, we needed a name that didn't have existing uh, meaning because um, if it is a meaning like a textbook, then people associate it with a textbook, even though it might do something that's different more or less, you know, than a textbook. Um, so teachers employ resources to use in classes. Sometimes those are resources they buy from externally. Sometimes those are resources that they make themselves internally. Sometimes they Google it and find some worksheet online. Um, we are trying to be able to provide for a Mustang something that can serve as a one-stop shop. So this covers all of the jobs to be done and the core time for learning. So if you didn't want to use anything else, you don't need to. Now our resources are meant to be flexible so that you can add to it if you want, you can remove bits. So you don't have to use it or us or nothing. It's just not meant to be that you can buy something and only half of class time is looked after. So then it's on the teacher to do something to fill the other half. Um, do they have to do that to get past go? So we want to make it optional for them to do things. They can do it if they want to. They don't have to do things. So we're trying to provide a one-stop shop, which is delicious and nutritious. Um, it has a low floor and a high ceiling uh, and hopefully works for 90 plus percent of teachers and 90 plus percent of students, which I believe is a big step up over the existing resources in market. And we do that across math, science, humanities, English. So all subjects initially started in year 11 and 12 and are now building out the 7 to 10 catalogue as well in Australia. Dude, that is, there's so much in there like every topic every class has so much information that they're trying to push across it is and like obviously you can't do that by yourself like no. <laughs> i'm like my head is trumbling like yeah. of the information and how big this is yeah it's ginormous well it rolls about 200 people now um which is quite big um and 
One of the differences between the way that we do it in traditional publishers is that we're fully vertically integrated. So a traditional publisher, they will have authors and there might be four authors in say a year seven science textbook and they might write a quarter each. Um, whereas we'll have an in-house team of 10 people writing things. Um, and we work very, very carefully on how we think about writing things. There's an oversimplification, but if we have one year to write a textbook, which is about average, we might spend six months of that year doing research and development, figuring out what to write, how to write it, and we build what we call content technology. And then we spend the other six months actually making it. Whereas a lot, the other people will start writing immediately. And instead of there being people in-house, they're out of house and they're paid a royalty. Uh, so the way that we make stuff is very different and more expensive, but hopefully higher quality. Um, and if it's higher quality, you should have good market share and as such a, a product that has ec you know, unit economics that stack up. Yeah. Bloody hell. Hmm. It's fun <laughs> and stressful. <laughs> yes. Yeah. So you've got an office here and in New York. Is this, where you, is this what's going and, on in New York? Uh, Sydney as well. And Sydney. Yeah. Wow. And so you pinball between the three? Uh, I mean, COVID put a uh, stop to sort of traveling around for quite a little bit. Yeah. Um, but now, so my main role, although we do wear different many hats, uh, is to, to look after product. Um, and so there's different phases, but normally I'm sort of the person helping figure out the, the early phases. And so we raised some money about a year ago. Um, and part of that was to go and internationalize. And so that meant that it was very likely I was going to need to go and live in the place we wanted to internationalize for a period of time. How's it going? Uh, it's, it's so good, bad, and ugly. Um, <laughs> so one of the things, like some businesses um, scale a lot easier than others. Either they're all equally easy to scale or they're not. So there's like there's product acquisition and then business. There's sort of three components people often talk about. Does your product scale? So for instance, something like Canva, the, I would say the product scales. Um, they don't need to make a new product for New South Wales versus Victoria or one for America versus not. It's kind of tools. Whereas at Rollo, we can't sell year seven maths from Victoria to, to New York as an example. We have to make the New York version. Um, and that, but the difference, the outcome of this is that you can build very, very impactful things. Um, but, and also there's high barriers to entry on what you've built, but the, the amount of effort required to build it is very, very high. And so it's early days there and we have to effectively build like a new product from scratch, um, which, and there's, there's some similarities, um, but there's also some differences between what we're doing in Australia. And so that takes a lot of time and I would like everything to be done yesterday as per normal. So mm. yeah, it's an interesting challenge. Do you, do you, and is there legal things that you have to like, mm. obviously, yeah. <laughs> you know, like it's like, yeah. And at more and more, like as we move into the future, everything's scrutinized, everything to the nth degree. Yeah. In, in such a big volume, you would no doubt that's yeah. like, I'm trying to say a lot of hours. Yeah. It takes at least 10,000 hours to build like a year seven math resource in Australia as an example. Um, so that's, that's not small. But also it isn't actually as scrutinized as much as I think you would necessarily like. <laughs> um, so, you know, people do their best um, often, and, but I, I don't know a single resource that people would not say could be improved significantly. And that's not because I think people haven't tried. It's just because people run out of time, if that makes sense. Like, yeah, yeah. you know, you've got to be able to make something before the school year starts and you've only got, you know, X amount of dollars. So you do the best you can in the time you have with the money you have. Yeah, yeah that's like everything, right? Yep. You know? Yep. Yeah, okay, I get it. Yeah. Okay, so you, did you spend the two years in New York? 
No, I've only been there for about four months. Now. Oh, four months. Sorry, you said that yeah, at the start. Yeah, yeah okay. Um, but I don't know. I'll probably be back there till the middle of this coming year. Um, but it's a very interesting challenge. Like, so some of the stuff we're working on, like, I don't know, working on fractions as an example. Like, obviously, we didn't invent fractions. Yeah. But to make it work well, you kind of need to figure out how to do um, fractions that is relevant to children's lives as well as fractions that are accessible. Um, so you can either be relevant or irrelevant or accessible or inaccessible. And so fractions in and of themselves, um, it's not necessarily something that's absolutely difficult, but teaching them well and one characterization well to me is relevant and accessible is very difficult, I think, and something that you can never stop improving at. Um, and so this is like a really interesting challenge um, and something that we're hopefully leveling up on significantly as we think about what to build for the US. Yeah, mm. or built for New York because it's mainly for New York at the beginning. Yeah. And is this the, like, so New York, mm. you love it? Good, bad and ugly. Um, I, I lived out of Melbourne for five years um, from when I was 25 to 30, um, 38 now. Uh, and I think I wouldn't have been able to relax if I hadn't have um, lived out of Melbourne. Sorry, where did you live? I lived in Sydney and Singapore and a tiny brief stint in, in San Francisco. Yeah. And I think you often take things for granted until they're gone. And, and one of those was family. And now family, I think, is perhaps the most important thing. And I can get into reasons around why that is if you're interested. Yeah, oh, yeah. Uh, let's go. No, I had uh, my own epiphany with family when I was living in America because I was living there for, I don't know, seven and a half, eight years. Yeah. Um, and so to me, like I wasn't looking to, to live out of Melbourne. Yeah. I'm very happy to do it if the reasons are right. But, uh, you know, whereas before when I was like 25, I, like, well, I, wanted, to, I wanted to go and live somewhere else. Yeah. Um, and now I don't want to go and live somewhere else unless there's very good reasons. Uh, I'm very happy to but not looking to, you know, unless there is a very good reason, basically. Because you want to be close to family. Yeah, I think so. Um, it, so it, it used to be, um, someone when I was 20 told me that you'll never know more people than you know now. And I thought this was absurd because I'd always gotten to know more people and it was true. Um, so not just that, like, I suppose I still know people, but like I spend a smaller and smaller portion of time trying to meet new people. Um, I think you don't want to get it to zero. Um, and so you almost always want to meet some new people each year and not just meet them for like five minutes at, you know, having a coffee or something, but get to know someone properly. Speed dating. Or no, I'm joking. Yeah. I'm joking. <laughs> but like, it, it's like one of the things that they say that younger people come up with more of the new ideas than older people. And one of the reasons for that is that a lot of older people become more stagnant. Yeah. So the amount of new people that they're meeting as an example can get to almost zero. Um, but the other side is, that I suppose I'd like to believe I've leveled up over time and I am more than what I used to be when I was 20 from a mental perspective. And so my good friends now, each unit of time we were speaking when we were 20, you know, you'd run out of things to say. So each unit of time led to like less than one, like 0.8 new things to, to say. Whereas each unit of time now leads to like 1.1 or more. So each time you speak, you actually have more to say. So after you've caught up for four hours, there's actually more things you want to talk about than at the start, not you run out of things to talk about, which is what used to happen when I was like 20. I'd have 15, 20 well, you minutes. just drink a few more beers. Yeah, and then you do some, something silly or whatever, <laughs> yeah. you know. Um, so family is kind of that, like you can invest in relationships that get deeper and better over time Yeah, and that you can help. And so like, for instance, I'm trying to help my nieces with literacy and numeracy um, and even just going to the park. Like this morning I was at the park with one of my nieces and I hadn't been to the park with her since I was in New York four months ago. And seeing how she is enjoying the park differently and why and what this is, is so much fun. It's like so much fun. And so the menu of like, it used to be that when I was 20, there was like one thing to order from the menu for fun, which is go out with your friends, 
talk crap, you know, have a few beers or whatever. And I still like that. But now going to the park with my niece is super fun. Whereas mm. it wasn't on the menu. Mm-hmm. Having a good chat with someone like you was something that I would make time to do. Whereas mm. there's no way I would have been like, oh yeah, let's chat for two hours, you know, during the <laughs> afternoon. Like, We're going to run out of things to say. It's going to be awkward <laughs> AF. You know, this is not going to be good. And so yeah. the, the menu list of things that can be enjoyable was like not very big when I was 20. And now there's like 30 or 40 things on there. And so family, there's many, many items on this, um, which can be fun. So yeah, it's, it's just shifted. Like my conception of life, I thought like people in their late thirties were boring and it stopped living life. And I now look back and say 20 year old Duncan had a very narrow conception of how to live life and very narrow conception of how to have fun. Um, and I like to believe that I have significantly more ways to enjoy life than I did before. Man, that's really eloquently put. Um, and I, I actually made note of that, like a menu list of enjoyment. I've never thought of it like that, but you are completely yeah. right. Mm. The longer that we get to kick around on this ball, the deeper our knowledge of each other and what interests us and what life, uh, like the fragility, you understand the fragility of life a little bit more mm. than what you did when you were younger. Uh, and like you say, just spending time with loved ones or interesting people is a, a blessing. Definitely. And I never thought that, you De- know, unless you're on drugs. Yeah. <laughs> well, as an example, like when I was younger, 20, being alone was typically a bad thing. They say if you, um, so what's the quote? Um, I can't remember the quote right now. But anyways, um, I used to get lonely. I used to get FOMO. And now I try to make time to be alone. Like yeah, I do yeah, silent yeah. meditation retreats and other things. I don't want to be alone by myself for the rest of my life and never no, speak to which, anyone. So which one did you do? Uh, so there's a couple in Melbourne, one in um, Warburton and one in Hillsville. You've done a few. Yeah, I've done probably like 10. No uh, shit. I've and, never done Vipassana though. Yeah, Yeah, but you've done the other yeah. ones. And it's, they're pretty crazy, right? Hey, when you come out the other side. Definitely. Of uh, the silence of the mind. Yeah. Um, so I think there's sort of three types of time in your mind. There's like conscious time where you're thinking about directing it. Then there's like what people normally think of as meditation. So you're concentrating on your breath and you're trying to think of nothing. So just concentrate on your breath and your thought comes up, let it go, concentrate on your breath or do a body scan or whatever. Yeah. And then the third type of time is letting your subconscious run the show. So normally your subconscious is drowned out for me by your conscious. You're at work and you're thinking about something or you're talking with a friend. Um, and I think that you can get to a point where there's no conscious thoughts coming in. Like it takes me normally one to two days for all the thoughts from life to kind of run out of steam in my mind and on a meditation retreat. And then your subconscious can talk to you. And for me, like half the things my subconscious says are really insightful and things I should be thinking about. And half of them are just absurd and don't make any sense. Um, And so you're like, oh God, let that thing go. But I think you're sort of talking about like, there's all these things you should be spending time to process and you can process them by thinking about them. You can process them by writing, like journaling or whatever that I wasn't making time for in day-to-day life. And to me, you can make time for it on a meditation retreat. So at the end of it, there's normally two to five things that I've realized that I didn't know at the beginning. And also a couple of other things that I knew coming in, I wanted to spend some time contemplating, but I hadn't been able to find the time to do that. And so I find them really, really useful. 
Um, I, the first one I went to, I didn't think I'd make it. I thought, I, you know, no phones, no reading, no talking to people. I'm like, I'm, I'm not going to last. It was like stressful. <laughs> this is meant to be relaxing. And all I'm worried, I'm getting stressed about going to a meditation retreat. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> this is like totally. the opposite of what it's meant yeah, to be. Yeah, yeah, um, yeah. But for me now, it's actually time to, to learn about your, your mind or, or things that you should be thinking about and to also contemplate some things you've been wanting to contemplate but haven't had the time to contemplate. Yeah. Ah, mm. oh, man, I'm, I don't know who I was talking to about it the other day, but I want to go back and I want to do another one. Mm. But it's like, you know, you're like, oh my God, it's like, it's five days it's three days it's ten days it's like you know oh i can't when, when am i going to pull that time out mm. and uh you can come up with every excuse under the sun but mm. just to go and do it i i even the thing that you just said then about processing mm. i told you i just I, I in the new year i've taken back up journaling in the morning mm. and um I think about a month ago, my dog passed. Oh, God. Yeah, it was pretty horrible. And mm. I thought I'd processed a lot. Mm-hmm. And I found every morning, just stream of consciousness, you can't stop writing. Mm. I'm writing a lot about the dog, mm. Billy, with, without realizing. And I'm like, well, I'm still writing. And it's like, obviously, there's more. Yeah. She's in my subconscious more than I'm actually yep. uh, aware of or... I haven't processed as much as I thought I had because it's, mm. she's just showing up in these pages more and more. Mm. Um, I, yeah, as it, I, which I found surprising. Not mm. surprising, that's bad because mm. she was my life for four years. Mm. But um, yeah, anyway, it's just interesting what does come up. Mm. Definitely. I think sometimes it's processing things that you should, but also sometimes it's breaking new ground and it's like a bit of a combination of both. But they say that, like, I don't know, to be optimally healthy, you should live how humans used to live. Mm. So how we were in, like, hunter-gatherer times. So you should eat the diet we used to eat. You should do the movement we used to move, etc. cetera. Uh, and so one part of that from, like, a diet perspective is we didn't used to have supermarkets and you could always have, you know, a very, very regimented diet. So you should do some fasting. You should do some feasting for your body. Um, and so I normally, one day a week, eat, like, double or triple the calories I do for the rest of the week. And it's actually good for your body to, like, overload it and see... And then you've got to also do the fasting component. And this is normally meant to be at least, you know, one day, hopefully a whole weekend of not eating once a month. But that probably only happens like once every three or four months. Um, do you fast weekly though on a shorter period? Uh, if you're talking about like intermittent fasting, so for, I don't know, up to like 16 hours, sure. But like not eating for a whole weekend, I don't normally get around to it. It's much harder to do that than it is to just overload your system with <laughs> calories yeah, yeah, one yeah. day a week. Yeah. Um, but I think you should do the same thing for your mind. So... As you should fast and feast for your body, you should fast and feast for your mind. And so there's like the normal programming. So the normal what you eat, like say Monday to Friday as an example. Um, And so fasting is a meditation retreat. So instead of like reading, talking, working, you know, you know, whatever phone, uh, you do nothing. And then feasting is things like going to festivals. Mm -hmm. Uh, So... I don't know. Um, I went to Burning Man, whatever it is, four months ago. Um, Did you? Yeah. Um, And I think I kind of want to go to two festivals a year. Um, and to do two five-ish day meditation retreats a year. Uh, Vipassana, is, I, I'm not necessarily sure I want to try it. I've heard a lot of bad stories personally about it. No, come on. Tell me, what have you heard? I think that they're hectically dogmatic. Uh, and so that, for instance, like you have to sit there and to go through the pain. Yeah. You know, that it is, you know. Um, I've done it, man. It was fucking it. painful. Yeah. Uh, and so to me, like sometimes, like, I don't know, if you want to sleep in because you're just tired. Like I feel like normally I feel like I'm not that fried or rinsed going into it and I normally realize that I am way more rinsed than I thought I was like I've gotten better in the last year I'm, I'm totally you know in, in a much more balanced state and you're like, no you're not you're just deluding yourself you know typically and so to me uh, I also want to journal a bunch yeah, during them yeah. and so 
uh, I'm, I, as I understand it, you're not initially allowed to journal. So I'll no, be like, no, no pens, no books. No, yeah, no, yeah. You're not even going to look someone in the eye. Yeah, I know. That's what I understand. I'm not yeah. done. Um, but to me, so the meditation, I will have a journal. I'll be writing. And because yeah, to me, like you, you, some, some thought will happen like in the middle of like a meditation. And you're like, oh, oh I, I do want to think about that, but I don't want to think about it now. So I write a little note on a page. And then when you've got like half an hour, you're just sitting around. I'll go, okay. And I'll just write some notes underneath it. And so by the end, there's a bunch of thoughts that, that have come out. Um, so anyway, sort of back to the side of like, I think you should fast and feast for your body and you should fast and feast for your mind. Yeah. And yeah, I found this to be very useful uh, from both sides. Mm. Man, you are um, very thoughtful. Yeah. <laughs> well, you can piece things together. Like hopefully, you know, say life doesn't get easier, you get better at it, which is good because I don't want to get any worse at it and I don't need to repeat any of the mistakes that I've been doing in the past as an example. Have you always been this driven? No. Um, and not at all. I think people, you think, you know, I don't also think that you're born this way. Like your eye color and height might be sort of determined, you know, times nutrition at birth, but you might've been born in China your entire life or whatever. And then if you were taken to Australia, you don't come out speaking Mandarin or something. Um, so to me, drive is normally a, a sort of outcome of passion. I think and passion is, I think actually built, you're not born with them. Um, so Normally, the, they say the more interested, you know, the more you know about something, the more interesting it is. And so, if you don't know anything about education, it's not very interesting. Like, if you don't know anything about AFL, it's not very interesting. And normally, the better you are at something, the more rewarding it is to do. And so, I think one of the hacks is find something in the world that you want to make the world better at. And I think it's hard to think that education is not something worthy of improving. Um, and then spend the time to go from level zero and just level up slowly. Okay. But, but I'm just going to drill back. Yeah, go, go, go. You uh, I the what point in your life yeah because you said you haven't always been so driven yeah do you remember the point when you were like yeah uh, i need to sh shed this old skin because yeah. i'm not don't feel fulfilled there was there was there a, a sorry. yeah there wasn't an individual point there was like no. a slow realization over multiple years um so to me um school like they say money is the point system for life to determine like how well you're going you got more money you're, you're winning the like game of life or whatever uh, and that's from Yuval Harari. Um, and so I was playing the game called better market school equals better job and better job equals higher paying job and all else equal, it's better to be rich than it is to be poor. And so to me, I didn't particularly enjoy what I was learning at school, but I was like, if you get better grades, you're going to earn more money. And so I was like, okay, I understand the game and I would like to do well at the game, please. Yes. And so then I was at uni and it was the same thing. Uh, you know, do get grades equals better job at the end. And then first job, um, it's Goldman Sachs, JB Weir was like managing rich people's money. Um, you worked for a hedge fund? Uh, second job, I worked for a hedge fund. Yeah. And that was also, <laughs> um, and so, but basically it's about financial markets and I learned a lot about this. And why do share prices go up and down? Why is the reserve bank changing the interest rates? You know, what's happening, you know, with the um, political policy about whatever else it is, you know, should we be in a deficit? Should we be in a surplus, et cetera, et cetera. Um, and so this was fascinating. Um, and so I was actually starting to read for the first time ever, because it was fun, not because I wanted to get a promotion or something. And I did want to get a promotion, don't get me wrong, but this was the only reason I did work beforehand was to get better grades so I could get a better job. And so this was this, I was like, oh my God, work can actually be interesting because I thought work would be like what school or university was to me. This thing you did so you weren't homeless or you get a better job. Not this, and, so, and the goal of a job was to not have a job, to retire. And so the best job meant you retired the earliest not that you worked till you died. And so I didn't know that. And I was like, oh my God, how come I didn't know this? How come nobody told me? And maybe they did. 
And I just fell on deaf ears because I'd never experienced the joy of learning beforehand. I'd like, you know, just, it's just this sort of imposition required to be able to, you know, do this. And so you can, summer holidays is the best time growing up. And if you did really well, you could retire earlier than 65 and have summer holidays sooner. <laughs> Doesn't yeah. Warren Buffett fuck that one up though? Yeah. So I didn't know who Warren Buffett was until, you know, I finished, like I didn't know who was at university, which is not good because I was doing engineering and commerce degree. Anyway, sorry, keep on your train. But, but that's yeah. the whole point. You can tap dance to work, the whole Warren Buffett quote. Uh, and so... I came to realize that some jobs could be interesting and some jobs could be boring. I was like, well, a job that's interesting is better than a job that's not interesting. And one of the core reasons I found it interesting was that I was learning about interesting stuff. And so I was learning for fun. So that was the first thing. And then I kind of didn't know anything about startups, which is a bit of bad because I started engineering uh, at Melbourne Uni in 2002, which is just after the tech wreck. And we should have had something. Now they've got all these entrepreneur clubs and a whole lot of other things. But there was nothing at the time. And I came to believe that some companies are good and some companies are not good. Um, so you don't have to have like a charity to be good. So as an example, I think Google is in a very good net influence of the world, probably 90-10. That's probably about as good as someone can hope. Goldman Sachs might be 50-50, like 50% good, 50% not good. Um, and so I was like, oh, well, you want to learn and you want to do something that's good for the world. I get that. Can I back it up? Yeah. Um, Goldman Sachs, 50-50. What's yeah. not, not good if you... Uh, I mean, so I was there 2007, 2008. That's where the you know, GFC happened. Yeah. Um, you know, whilst I was in Melbourne, a long way away from New York, um, I think some of their deals that they were doing around subprime debt were not good for the world and like an abacus or whatever. Um, and that some of the people there were knowingly, and again, I wasn't there, so I was just read through through the media yeah. or whatever. But yeah. I think that, you know, these are supposedly sophisticated investors. So sophisticated, how can I say it? Sophisticated investors yes. don't have the same regulations that say a retail investor does. So they're meant to be able to make their own decisions. So... No if they buy it, them. no one pushing you to do it. You want to buy this, you can buy it. Um, so, so as, is that what, the, what was the, sh- the movie that they made with, about the Wall Street crash? And, yeah. Um, is that what they were doing? They were buying those packages? Where yeah, so re- those co- collateralized debt obligations, yeah. Yeah, that's what they were investing in. And then, so that's the 50% that you think is not good. If you say 50-50, it's not, you know, they're just yeah. making shit deals. Yeah. And preying on people who don't have much money or are going under anyway. Is this... Oh, maybe because I mean, like this one, I think they sold the collateralized debt obligation to a German pension fund, um, but it was a synthetic CDO, which means that there wasn't actually any money going to the underlying mortgage holders. They just picked the, the securities that were already there, put them into a debt instrument, yeah. and then a hedge fund bet against it, and they sold this to a German pension fund. And so they're supposedly sophisticated because the people running the pension fund should be more sophisticated than any sort of retail investor. And I think it lost, I think it was like a face value of $1.5 billion. And I think it lost all of that within 18 months. <laughs> and so the, effectively this German pension fund transferred $1.5 billion to the hedge fund and then Goldman make the fees that come out of this. Uh, so this is different. So they just packaged up this thing um, and, and did that. And then there was lots of things that had gone on, like, I don't know, going around and helping the Greek government restructured their balance sheet so that it looks like they didn't have the debt they did and they had better cash flow so they could get to become part of the EU, et cetera. Um, and so, yeah, they take fees out of this, but is this making the world better? I think it's hard to say it is, but I think there are components of Goldman that do make the world better. Yeah, yeah. They're just components that are just about making fees for itself. Um, yeah, no, well, they're a hedge fund. And So can I ask you, do you invest still today? Do you play in that area? Uh, not really. Uh, I have sort of uh, a little bit, um, but so I'm not a sort of active component. I think to be able to have an edge, you need to be paying quite a lot of attention to the market. 
Uh, so I have some Tesla stock, which has taken it in the neck recently. <laughs> um, and I've done a very tiny bit of investing in startups, but that's only been through people that I've known for a long time. I'm not actively looking to do investments. Um, it just kind of happened to be if someone I know for a material period of time is doing something that I believe in, then yeah. I'd be like, okay, let's put a bit of skin in the game. Yeah, yeah, I like this. And so your model for moving forward, I read a quote um, that was like, if it's not bettering the world, it's 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 not serving any purpose towards our future. Is it was that I'm butchering it, but you're yeah. along those lines of any kind of a business, really. Now I really like that. Yeah, I, I think it's. But then, like the cynic in me looks around sometimes and is like, "Fuck, mm. you know, it's a tough game out there." Mm. And I feel like the the as you say, this is 50 50s good, fifties not good. That yeah. the fifty that's not good, I feel like are the powers to be and the baby boomers that are still in control, mm. looking at world leaders. Mm. Uh, it's fucking difficult mm. to fight that, but do you think it's just time? Uh, also, the, the general heuristics uh, for me is like I, I want to believe that it can make the world better. You can't guarantee, but if you believe that it is and you see the people that are running this and their job is to make the world better so that you can have different lenses on that, growing the pie, improving humanity, you know, climate change, whatever you want to look at, right? And then the other one is that I want to think that it can 10x after inflation on a 10-year view. Um, so, whoa, what was that? The, the price, share price can 10x, so 10 times up after inflation is taken into account over 10 years. Um, so to make money in the markets, you normally need to have an edge. Uh, so what do you know? What's your edge on others that they don't? And there's black edge, which is non-public information. So insider trading is an example. And there's white edge, which is stuff that you can figure out. And yeah. so it used to be that the vast majority of money was in individuals. So like 100 years ago, it was about... 80% of money was individuals and now it's about 20%. The rest of the money is institutions, so pensions, you know, um, super funds, etc. And so those people are mark to market once a year normally. So they can't really look longer than once a year. And so they have a time horizon of one year. So the super fund allocates money to US stocks and some fund manager in there. And if they underperform on a one-year basis, then they'll take the money from them after a couple of years. Uh, sorry, I think we're on the wrong track. I, yeah. I, I just meant in, in general in life in any business, not okay. necessarily even in stocks. Okay, cool, cool. Yeah. Um, I, I read, it was, I don't know where I pulled it from. I think it was from the other podcast that you did sure. and it was a ripped quote from it. Yeah. And I think I, it wasn't in relation to the stock market, was it? I think it was just in relation to business in general. Bet, I don't recall. Bettering. Sure. <laughs> it was, uh, it was a, uh, something that you you touch on it before if the business isn't making the world a better place yeah it doesn't really serve a purpose in in the market much anymore no i agree yeah yeah and i thought it was a really that's sorry that's where i was driving at before i yeah. thought that was a really i didn't put context to it sorry i'm really good at that <laughs> uh, um i really like that yeah you know it's a beautiful thing yeah um but then you know you pull the curtain back on so many things and there's so many people you know, I, I, I can be quite just as equally cynically. Yep. Like, you know, 50% of the time I'm an optimist and then the other 50% of the time I'm like, fucking yeah. hell, the ship's going down for sure, yeah. you know. Um, and, but I want to believe that we can... This is driving back at AI, isn't it? Yeah, well, I, that's one part. Well, I mean, I think businesses can make the world better or, or can just be self-serving. You want to make take more of the pie for yourself, as an example. So an oversimplification, you can grow the pie or you can try to get a bigger slice of the pie for yourself. Um, and to me, if you want to hopefully live in a good life, um, one way I think is to try to make the world better or to expand the scope and scale of consciousness. You can have different versions of what you want that to look like. Um, and I think it's much better to spend your time trying to improve the world than it is to try to make money. 
um, that can be enjoyable, that can be rewarding. And if you want to have others come along and help you, if you can articulate a way that you're helping make the world better, then it's much more likely they're going to be able to do that. And so to me, the core thing in a company is to figure out how you're trying to make the world better, to articulate a mission. So in the case of Ed Roller, that's improving education. Yeah. And then the next thing I think you want to do underneath that is ideally put an objective measure to something that is normally subjective. So if you, for instance, improving education, there's not one clear definition. You can look in the dictionary and there's like a number that it spits out every year. But if you can't have, for instance, an objective measure for hopefully the majority of it, even the vast majority, like 80%, it's very hard to try to calibrate the trade-offs that are needed to make in any product. Um, and so to me, this is what I think defines the culture in companies more than anything else is what is the mission and how do you measure progress towards the mission? And if you can do that, then you can normally align large groups of people to work together in a positive some way. So if you take space X as an example, it's the cost to orbit per tonne. And they've been able to massively decline or lower the, the cost of this. And I think with Ed Rollo and some of this stuff, I don't want to get into details because some of this is our secret source, yeah. uh, is we would like to believe that we are improving education. So we don't want to necessarily have more time allocated. Like kids should be playing sport with their friends, relaxing. So just the existing time that is allocated to math, science, and humanities, you know, English, how can we use that better and to make it more enjoyable to give better outcomes? And one of the ways for that, as an example, is what portion of people can innovate or teach themselves new things or do questions they have low familiarity with. There's all synonyms to me. And if you look at, say, Harvard developmental psychologist Robert Keegan, he says about a third of people in developed countries get to the point where they can do that. That's even after they get to 50, not at the end of school. Um, and I think that we can massively increase the portion of people that get to that. Um, so that is the goal, is to increase the portion of people that are able to innovate or to do non-repetitive things and to be able to do that through the existing education system and the existing money that is being used and the existing ways of learning. So we don't need any new curriculum, any new money, any new time, any new training. And is this possible? I think, yes, you know, we need to make incremental steps every year. And so if you can have a mission that is improving education and you can articulate how you're doing it in a very tangible way, and then even have that come back into some objective metrics that measure some of this, that's normally a much better way to motivate yourself and others than is just, we're making money or we're improving education, but how do you measure that? I don't know, you know, it's just because we are or whatever. Yeah. Mm. Yeah, it's great. Mm. Like, it's cool for me. Yeah, if you can, I want to be on board at something that's making the place better and helping. You know, that's that's it's yeah. I mean, it's not rocket science. It's a really good thing. Hmm. It's just good for humanity across the board. Let's jump in here. What is uh, this? Are you pointing at their wig? Yeah. Okay, so I just have very long hair. Yeah. Um, sort of down to my nipples. You want to call it that? Um, and at the start of uh, COVID, I cut it off. And so one of the sort of heuristics to ask myself is what would 80-year-old Duncan think? Um, and so 80-year-old Duncan in the nursing home, did he want to have a wig of his hair at the time I was 36 that he could walk around in and, and have fun as like a party piece? And I was like, yes. Uh, so I'd been wanting to cut my hair for a while, but I also thought I would miss my hair. And I realized I didn't have to make a decision. I didn't have a choice. I could cut it off and get it made into a wig that I can wear whenever I want. And then I could also have shorter hair. Um, and so I cut it off um, and got them to make it into a wig for me. And it sits on there to be a bit of fun to look at. And every now and then I wear it as a party piece. That is fantastic, man. It's cool. Yeah. It's very warm. Yeah. <laughs> it's like wearing a beanie. How um, long did it take to grow that? I'd had long hair for quite a while. So yeah. um, 
in some of my first jobs, such as, you know, Goldman Sachs, JB Weir and a hedge fund, I, I had to wear a suit and have sort of cookie cutter, you know, stuff. So I wasn't able to have long hair like that. Yeah. Or at least um, I didn't feel that it was a wise decision to make to try to maximize my chance of hopefully making progress, you know, in that sort of, you know, job hierarchy there. And then at Google, you were very much able to do what, wear what you want. There's no suits. If you wore a suit there, people would like laugh at you. Yeah, yeah. Um, and you could have long hair, etc. Yeah. And so I'd had four years of cookie cutter suits, short hair, etc., clean shaven. And so I didn't cut my hair, I think, for like two and a half years after I got there because it was kind of like this reaction of like pent up. Um, and then I had long hair for like, it must be like seven years or something. Um, and... Then I'd kind of had enough, but it had been about that length or to some degree, just cutting it, you know, every few months or whatever. Um, but it took probably a few years to grow to get to be long from very short. Yeah. Isn't it crazy? Like you were just saying at Goldman Sachs, you yeah. know, to have the suit and that's part of the deal. Right. Yeah. Um, and, but like even to get into say a bar down here, not longer, you had to have <laughs> leather shoes and a collar. Yeah, it's true. <laughs> <laughs> you know? Yeah. And like these days, Thank God, mm. no one really gives a shit. They still do their dress mm. codes at certain places, and yeah, that serves true. them very well because they, you know, birds of a feather. And yeah. uh, but like you know, you can work at the you know wherever these days and have a teardrop tattoo, and yeah. no one even bats a fucking eyelid. Yeah, it's true. Um, this piece here, yeah, uh, on the roof. Okay, so this is like a dunk me with a wizard hat on, um, and so. Uh, some people or one person in particular, I won't name it, kind of referred to me a bit of a wizard at work because I end up creating things. Wizards like concoct new things out of nothing or whatever. Yes. Um, and so I thought it would be kind of funny. And so there are three symbols or actually four on there, which were what I can't even remember what they mean now. I'm sure it's in some email. And so every now and then I will create like a sticker or something to symbolize something that we have done. Um, and so that hat has these symbols of what we were trying to do, which was make something much more accessible, much more enjoyable, and much... I've forgotten the third one. And so the, this kind of idea, um, it was a hat trick, and that's what it was. It was and it was, there were three things that you had to get in a row, and it was a hat trick, and then so there's a hat trick. Um, and so then you made a hat, and then the hat also is what wizards wear. So I was like, okay, we're going to make this, the three things into a hat, and we're going to make it a wizard hat for a bit of fun. And then I thought, okay, I'm going to get this and this is on my own money in my own time with other people made into something which looks a bit like me um and then printed um so you can get like it laser printed onto wood this is on the roof um and then you can stick it to the roof so it's a piece of art it's a piece of art on his roof that yeah. is about 10 12 10 feet 12 feet long very colorful very cool psychedelic yeah. in fact yeah, it's, I think the, the piece of wood, the maximum size was 2.4 metres long and I think it's about 1.2 metres wide. Okay. So I made it fit the maximum length that you could have. Yeah. Um, and there are lights behind it that go in time with music um, and stuff. Oh, really? Yeah. <laughs> but it's daytime now, so it doesn't work very well. Yeah, okay. <laughs> yeah. Um, now, the owl. Sorry, I know this is just like, no, this is fascinating cool. stuff around the house. Yeah, well, I think part of this... Um, so places can give you energy and some places can take energy. Completely. There's this, yeah. this fascinating study um, on they did from the UK and I'm going to get the numbers slightly wrong so I'm sorry about this, about the impact of, edu of classrooms, well-designed classrooms and poorly designed classrooms. And the impact was as much as a good teacher to a bad teacher. Uh, and so what this kind of is, like you can design a classroom well and so about 
two thirds of it were common things and about one third of it were like unique things. So for instance, if you don't have the heating done well, it's not good. So some classrooms, they don't have heating or air conditioning. So in the summer, it's too hot. In the winter, it's too cold. Some classrooms, there's no natural light. Some classrooms, the air quality is not good. It's all stuffy, et cetera. So these are things that are like common. And the other ones is like giving it personality or whatever. Um, another one was, and again, I believe these are the numbers. I'm sorry if it's not right. Um, <laughs> in a hospital, they built a new wing. Yeah. And I think for people that had, had a really um, big um, you know, operation, the amount of time till they left was five days in the existing wing. And in the new wing, it was three days. And then the portion of people that had to come back dropped in half. So the portion of people in the new wing that came back because something had gone wrong, like a complication, halved. And so it was the same doctors, same patients, same nurses, but the quality of the building made a gigantic difference. Yeah. And so I remember seeing these studies and I was like, oh my God. Um, so, uh, you know, good teachers make a massive difference over bad teachers, obviously. Um, I think almost everyone's had a good teacher, almost everyone's had a bad teacher and knows the difference they can make, but the studies show this as well. And when I saw these studies, this one was from the UK on 1500 classrooms, that a well-designed classroom made as big a difference and versus a poorly designed one as a good teacher to a bad teacher. I was like gobsmacked. Um, and so I think people sort of really, so some buildings, um, it's just like nature or whatever you can, there's like principles that are built into things, um, give you energy. And so for me, um, this is the first place I've ever owned. And I was constantly, I was like, I want to try to create a place that for me, gives me very, very good energy. Um, and so, yeah, it was like, what does that mean? And it was making things um, that I believe represent part of who I am or whatever it is. So all of these things have meaning. This is like all of the stuff in here, almost all of it, 90% is custom one-off things that I've designed. I haven't necessarily built it because like, I don't know, I can't laser print you know, <laughs> or whatever. Yeah, yeah. Um, and so the owl represents um, Owltail, which was another business that I was involved in, which is a podcasting app, which we can kind of get into if you would like. And it's meant to help me remember about that. Owl. Owl tail, as in the tail of a bird, yeah. Yes. Yeah. Please, let's talk about Owl Tail. It's uh, a podcasting app. Yeah. And we're doing a podcast. Yeah. <laughs> um, so, well, part of this um, is, well, the, we're the initial, there's many initial components, but one was just wanting to listen to things faster. Um, so, you may know this. How fast does the average person speak in words a minute? Do you know? Oh, no, man. I think everyone would have their own cadence, wouldn't they? It is, but the average in, say, Australia or America is 120 words a minute, which is about two words a second. Do you know how fast the average reader reads in words a minute? Again, I would think to the, like me, slow, you, a page. <laughs> like I mean, maybe okay. you do 10 pages, I don't know. This is average, so it's, 100, sorry, it's 200 words a minute with 65% comprehension. So, double. so 120 is speaking, 200 is the average, that's the average, <laughs> yeah, so okay. it's faster, almost double, yeah. 65% comprehension. How do you know how fast a top 1% reader reads in words a minute? Sorry, didn't we just do words so we did. So that's the 50th percentile or average yeah. is 200 words a minute, so yeah. top 1 percentile, so like the, the, the top fastest, do you know how oh. fast the top 1 percentile would read in words a minute? Uh, I don't know, no. A thousand words a minute and an 80% comprehension. So this is not skim reading. So this is <laughs> actually seen, reading every single word. Have you seen, I'm going to, sorry, this yeah. is completely terrible, but it was like someone sent me this thing on, in, did you do Instagram? Not really, no. Fuck, it's good, good, yeah. don't do it. But someone <laughs> sent me this, uh, I'll show you after this, but there's this yeah. African guy and he's mm. on a, a game show and everyone yeah. brings a special skill to the, to the thing and mm. 
he picks up, he's got all these books in front of him and he goes, he just goes, blah, 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 like yeah. through every book and they're just sitting there going, what is this guy doing? And yeah. they're like, you're not even reading it, man. Yeah. <laughs> it's, anyway, it's... Yeah. It's good. It's fucking funny. Like, yeah. yeah. Anyway, it reminds me of what you just said, <laughs> but you're being serious and I'm fucking around. <laughs> <laughs> no, there's a very interesting book called Moonwalking with Einstein, which is about memory um, championships and being able to memorize like 10,000 words in a row, every single word, and be able to regurgitate them at 10,000 words in a row and do that within 10 minutes or something. Oh my God. So, this is exactly like the spoof of what this thing is. Yeah. yeah. They're using memory palace techniques and other things. So there are, there are hacks because they figure out basically how the human mind works and then they use these tricks. But I don't necessarily feel that's a good use of one's time. You can, um, you know, do... Mem- computers can remember things very well. Human minds, it's harder. So there's don't, don't do something a computer can do well naturally. Do something a computer can't do well naturally and then have the two augment each other. Uh, yeah. Um, but anyways, the point is, is that... Yes, sorry. You yeah. can train yourself to read a lot faster. Uh, and so as an example, also, like the French speak at about 180 words a minute. And that's just because they've just acclimated to, to speaking faster. Um, so I remember when I was at Google, I was watching internal videos there at 1.3 times speed. And they shut down the um, speed thing on videos there. Um, and then I remember one of the engineers complained that they were listening at two times speed um, and that listening at one time speed was not okay and they needed to put this feature back. And I remember thinking, two times speed, that's absurd. How could anybody listen at two times speed? And then the next instant I was like, screw that, I'm going to get to two times speed. And this is perhaps part of how I've built myself to be, oops, um, is I suppose to not be scared of things but to be inspired by things. And so then I slowly like 1.3, 1.4, 1.5, just like you can go running, you can slowly get faster or you go to the gym, you can slowly lift more weights. Your mind is kind of the same. And then I found out that, because I'll just search up stats online, that a top one percentile reader can read at a thousand words a minute at 80% comprehension. So their comprehension is higher than those that are reading at 200 words a minute. And I was like, well, screw this. I want to become a top one percentile reader. Um, and how do you do that? Well, the same way you get better at anything. You just slowly level up. Are you? Uh, at listening, yes. Uh, at reading, no. So I, okay. I, I listen faster than I read. Yeah. And part of the reason for this is that if I'm sitting down normally, as in I can use my fingers or whatever, then I will normally be doing output, not input reading. So for instance, I go to the gym each morning um, and you know, you're doing exercise and weights and stuff. It's very hard to like read a book at the same time, but you can listen. Yeah. So I listen at like six times speed. Um, six pop- times yeah. speed. Now I got up to six. Yeah. Fuck me drunk. So now can fun. I say this? Yeah. Do you feel like there's a cadence to the human voice that when you're, this is what I dig from a podcast mm. is the gaps and pauses and feeling people think mm. uh, through the speed up of it. Mm. You're just sucking information as opposed to the experience you feel. I think you can just improve the rate that your mind thinks. Yeah. Well, you're doing it. Yeah. So, what so, you, so what was, so your maximum, your, so relativism, your 100% for a lot of people is say 120 words a minute, which is the standard pace that people speak. Yeah. And so I think that normally I speak a bit faster. I'm trying to remember to not speak too fast right no, now. No, it's great, man. I was like, <laughs> fucking keeping up here. It's like, whoa, I'm sweating. <laughs> <laughs> so some people at Ed Rollo will, will get there and they're like, Duncan's speaking so fast, I can't even understand what he's saying. Um, and so... <laughs> To me, this has imp- increased the rate that I think. Um, and so what you can learn is a function of what you know. This is what they call background knowledge. So if you read a book today versus 10 years ago, you get more out of the same book because of the background knowledge that you have, because of the knowledge that you can hang on the new piece of knowledge to. And so to me, um, the world, so the more you know about something, the more interesting it is. Um, Do you and- find it annoying talking to most people at work because they're not keeping up? Well, no, it's, it's interesting. So 
um, if in the morning I go to the gym for my body and they go to the gym for my mind. So going to the gym for my mind is going through things at like say five to six times speed and that's keeping up. So that's full bandwidth, right? Um, and it used to be that full bandwidth was 1.3. But then if you've been driving on the freeway at 100 kilometers an hour and you come back and you're driving at 60 kilometers an hour, everything feels like slow-mo. Yeah. And so you're in like a conversation and you don't have to spend 100% of your bandwidth to keep up with the conversation. Yes. You can actually think about what they're saying and why they might be saying it or think about perhaps, you know, what do you want to say in response? And you don't get to them finishing what they're saying. And you're like, oh my God, quick, 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 quick. You can actually have something considered to say. Um, and so... As I say, like, why listening to things at a frenetic pace makes the rest of life calm. So instead of, it doesn't, it doesn't make the conversations boring, it makes them not stressful. Whereas mm-hmm. before you'd be like, oh my God, you know, let's have a good conversation, let's not have a bad conversation. Um, and I think one way to, to do that is to have more considered responses. And this helps you do that because you are able to spend more time thinking about what you, how you want to respond than just going with the first thing that comes to mind. Yeah, yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. I completely understand what you're saying. It's like, training in the military mm. under fire you know and being cool learning mm. how to process under duress yep uh and so through speed speeded up <laughs> speedy conversation yep. you that's what essentially you're saying right you you're you're computing at a higher rate yep. and then come back to a normal conversation yes you've yeah it's it's yeah i understand just as you can add knowledge to your mind like if you read things you, you'll learn stuff you can also increase the rate that your mind thinks and from my perspective, why wouldn't you want to do that? Now, I suppose you could do that in a way that you feel like you're stressing yourself out, but you can also do it in a way that actually relaxes life for you. So if you're wanting to, like, I don't know, walk 42 kilometers, you, you can train you know, for a marathon or whatever else it is, right? And then the chance of you doing it sort of gets better or you can do no training and you can just walk. Uh, and so to me, yeah, you should be training your mind, I think, some of the time. Not all the time. Some of the time it should be relaxing. And so meditation, I suppose, is one form of relaxation as an example. Um, and I used to train my mind by trying to have it learn things, um, but I didn't realize that one, another form of training is increasing the pace that it thinks. Another form of training is increasing the quality that it synthesizes. And one of the strategies for that is the writing. Um, and so just as you know, you would hope to, I suppose, add physical attributes that like you can get more flexible, you can get stronger, you can get better cardio, you can whatever else it is, right? You can do the same thing for your mind. Um, but I had a very narrow, initially it was no training, it was only get good grades and then it was just learn, you know, facts and ideas. And now I like to believe I've got a more multifaceted way of leveling up my mind. And is there any secrets you want to share with that? Well, this is, this is a sort of a saying, like I think, so the major modalities is reading, thinking, talking, writing, building, user testing, and you should cycle through those things. I have two types of time. One is well, with a purpose to learning, like I want to learn how to improve education. And one isn't really with a purpose. It's just whatever takes my fancy, that is follow my nose, whatever I think the most interesting thing is. But then also making time not to just read. So if I go back 10 years ago, there was really over-indexed into reading. Um, and there wasn't much writing as an example. Um, and there's two types of writing. There's writing for output and there's writing to explore. And so the exploration style writing, I didn't even know was a thing. It wasn't like I was actively choosing not to do it. I didn't even know that one could do it. Um, and so, yeah, to me, this thing and listening to things faster. So you just slowly crunch up the speed. Normally, excuse me, um, say the first five, 10 minutes, it'll be kind of faster. So it might be at like six and a half. And that's kind of like stretching your new maximum. And then you back it off to like five and a half. And then it seems calm. Um, so the first bit is mainly with the goal of improving the rate that your mind can comprehend as opposed to maximizing the rate or the amount that your body or your mind takes out of it. Um, 
and so yeah um reading like different many many different areas of things like so let's just say you're doing something at like three times speed is it better to have listened to the one thing you know one third the pace or three different opinions on that one thing so let's say growth mindset versus fixed mindset you can listen to three podcasts on it and you'll normally get from my side much more out of it than trying to extract every little ounce out of the one podcast at a slower speed Mm. um and so, yeah, I'm, I'm, I don't worry at all about trying to extract maximum out of it. I'm just like listening. And if I haven't paid attention, so what? Like, there's no moral guilt. Well, your subconscious might have caught it. May, yeah, it could have, or it may not have. Like, it doesn't matter if I've tuned out for a minute, whatever. Because yeah. if I'm thinking about something, that's what it should be doing. And also, like, if and I'm... Bit, so that's the same ethos as meditation. Yeah. If I'm not on the breath and I'm thinking about something and I come back to the breath, that time it's not wasted. It's mm. just part of the process. But also sometimes the things that come up, you should think about. So you don't yeah. always have to go back to your breath. And so another one is like, normally in the morning I'm listening to something, either listening to others in a podcast or an audio book. And if I really can't pay attention, then it's probably because I should be listening to my mind because it wants to talk about something. So then I'll just put it onto some sort of like electronic music without words so that the, the, you know, the words can't sort of take over and just sit there and think about whatever it is my mind wants to think about. Um, so yeah, I, I don't try to fight my mind most of the time into doing something. I try to work with it, not against it. Um, what are some of the your favorite podcasts? It changes a lot. I think I subscribe to two hundred podcasts. Two hundred. Yeah, I don't listen to them all. Um, yeah. I just go through. So each morning, it's like five minutes of lining up. What are your top five at the moment that you're into? Um, yeah. Well, it's the sort of you know New Year break at the moment, so I've been listening to stuff a bit differently. Um, I don't know. I've, I've just found Pippa Malgram again, who's a person. So often, and so I met her actually a couple of times in two thousand and nine and ten. She's really cool on the intersection of geopolitics and sort of military uh, and economics. And so I've crunched through a bunch of her stuff. Um, I just found out, I didn't realize this, that Richard Dawkins came up with the term meme as well as mind virus. Uh, As I understand it, the mind virus is an idea that propagates without question. And so I've been listening to a few Dawkins things and sort of understanding on that. Um, The Twitter files I think is very interesting. Um, And so I've been listening to lots of different points of view about what people think about that. I already quite liked Matt Taibbi. I've been going a little bit deeper because uh, I, I happen to believe, feel that he's got a, a relatively good objective view on things, although you do need to listen to different points of view. Um, so I've been getting into some of that stuff from him. Um, I've been reading books I've been reading. I, um, I'm not the biggest fan of Bibi Netanyahu, although I didn't know too much about him. He had a biography that came out, so I've been reading that. On who? Um, Benjamin Netanyahu or Bibi Netanyahu is the sort of um, prime minister of Israel just came back, I think. He had like 18 months off um, or, you know, not off, but he wasn't in power and he's just come back. So then, did he just give someone else the power or did he get voted back No, no, back he got in? voted out and then he got, he got voted, voted back, back in. in. Okay, yeah, yeah. wow. Uh, he's quite right wing. And then I spent some time leveling up on understanding, you know, the two-state solution, where Israel came from, Palestine, et cetera, and then understanding the peace deals that they did. So, for instance, with the United Arab Emirates and how that kind of happened, going from being the enemy to joining and I think there's a lot of parallels between that and like what could happen in like, I don't know, Eastern Europe with like Russia and the Ukraine. And so it's just, I don't know. So this is stuff like, I well, think it's hard to see how this is directly related to helping improve education, but there's almost always second order ways of the, the, the information and knowledge helps. So that's kind of, there's a lot more that I've been reading as well, but that's what I've been doing for the last week and a half. Well, yeah. no, and then it's all, you know, the geopolitics of it all is, but it's part of living, right? To be yep. uh, informed on the environment in which we live. And that's, this yep. is all relative Yep. Like we're on Earth and we're all together at the moment. We're very global. Yep. Uh, so definitely I feel like what's happening in the Ukraine and Russia at the moment yep. is 
you know we can go it's all the way over there but we're so global these days you know like or energetically it's affecting us yep and i actually wanted to ask you what your take is on this whole fucking thing and where do you yeah. see it going because like I, I i i've been obsessed on it yeah i've had to pull back yeah because I, I i see patterns there that look like the start of world war one yeah i don't think i have necessarily that enough knowledge to have a strong view um and so, to me, what could happen, I don't really know. Um, I think one thing I heard, which feels reasonable, like Putin doesn't appear to be under any pressure internally. Um, is he standing gone down? Yes. Is he about to be overthrown through some revolution? doesn't appear to be the case. Yeah. And can he wait out people for a very long, long time? Yeah. So, he could sit there and do this for years and years and years, it appears. Um, and so, is that longer than the West's ability to continue funding this conceivably. So does that mean from that side, like, is he likely to give back all of the gains? No, because he can just wait things out longer. Uh, is the Ukraine likely to take it all back? Uh, I don't think so. So there'll be probably some settlement when, I don't know. Um, one thing is I think that someone said, and this is me just sort of regurgitating different ideas I've heard from different people, that both sides think they can make military gains at the moment. And so the Ukrainians have been taking back actual land, but the Russians have been blowing up their energy infrastructure and both sides think they can continue to do this and they are probably going to continue to do this. And so as both sides have hope that they can continue to make gains militarily, they're less likely to want to come to the negotiation table. Uh, and so the other one is like the Americans, uh, their strategy is to fight the Russians to the last Ukrainian so they don't have to give up any lives. And so what matters often is not the amount of money they've spent, but the amount of lives that they've lost in the political arena. And they're not losing lives that, you know, you hear about the lives lost in Afghanistan or whatever. And so this seems like a very, very cheap way to blunt Russia. Putin is occupied with this, so he's going to be able to spend less time messing with US elections and other things so they can run him dry from a cash perspective without losing people perspective. So the Americans, as long as they don't amp up and drop a nuke, seem quite happy to continue to eat through Putin's military supplies. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And so what does this all mean? Like, I don't know. I don't necessarily see this stopping anytime soon. The Ukrainians believe they can make this uh, uh, progress. Putin thinks, you know, he's not going to let go and just um, capitulate on everything. That's that's too much shame for him. And the Americans want to bleed Russia dry. So I feel like you might see another year of this because there's that's a good outcome for the Americans as an example. And Putin's not going to buckle down. And the Ukrainians, if they can continue to make slow land gains will be like well we can get more back so the optimal strategy for the u.s is to feed the ukrainians enough weapons to slowly keep making progress so they don't give up and this prolongs the war so it is actually in the benefit of not for the ukrainian people that are there or for the russian soldiers but perhaps from a more macro perspective to slowly weaken the russians by continuing this kind of you know ongoing grinding war it's it's a mess it is a mess. Do you have um, any thoughts on it? Yeah, I don't know. I don't know. I, it worries me. I, I worry about it. You know, it's like there's too much, like the influence of uh, America. You know, it's just, I just don't see how they can directly help the Ukraine the way they are and the West are. And so we should because, you know, like uh, they're getting fucked on, they're getting bullied by Vladimir. Um, but how Vladimir can't distinguish between who's behind the the fighting because if the West wasn't helping Ukraine, mm. uh, Russia would have won how long ago? Mm. And but the fact that you know why doesn't he just start flicking fucking bombs everywhere for against those? You know what I mean? Mm. And, and 
uh, that's where I worry. Hmm. If he doesn't make any more progress, he's going to start getting more and more. If he's not going to give up, then you just go, well, who's backing him? The UN? America? You know, who's helped? And then that's, that's where I worry. I think as long as he's not in threat of being usurped, that's kind of okay. Um, and I think if his back is at a wall, against a wall, like even if he lost all the, the, the land in the Ukraine, that doesn't mean that he's not going to still be in charge of Russia. Hmm. And so I think going beyond that. So I don't think, I don't know, like World War One. I, I think you mentioned, like there weren't weapons that could blob all of society at that time. So there is the kind of checkmate move, which is like we've all got nukes here. And so if you push too hard, it's going to nuke stuff. So that means they can't push too hard or whatever. Um, so I hope that we're not going to see an escalation into Nuketown. Um, and I think it seems unlikely. Um, but that this actually, and again, very, very bad for the Ukrainians, has not turned out, I think, how Putin was hoping at all, or, or people sort of would have thought, and might be net for the world a, a good thing because I don't see Putin as a good global citizen. I think he's trying to break the West, not be part of the rules-based international order, and that his ability to break the West, I think, is significantly diminished because of what has happened. And so all else equal, that might actually be for, again, the very bad outcome for the Ukrainians, but like a net win for Eastern Europe, like the Polish, and et cetera, et cetera, and just the you know, American elections, et cetera. So, mm. yeah. Mm. And um, now we didn't uh, get finish on our tale. Yeah. Oh, well, the, one of the initial impetuses was to be able to create a podcast player that went faster so I got. Oh, okay. So there, there was the were. speed. The yeah. Yep. Uh, so uh, the podcast players at the time stopped at three times speed, and I had gotten to three times speed because you know again how do you get there? Well, one point one, one point two, and you slowly get faster. Um, and I was like, well, stuff it, build something. Um, and in our tale, it breaks at thirty-two times speed. I don't know if I'll ever get to thirty times thirty-two times speed. Who goes to thirty-two times speed? Well, the app, the app does. Oh, your Al Al app. Yeah, you can yeah. download it. It's only on iOS and not on Android. Okay. Um, and so that's super fast, obviously. Um, so that was one of the things. And then I thought that part of the discovery process um, for podcasts was broken. Um, so as an example, you can't see the top ten podcasts, so the episodes for a podcast, and we could algorithmically create that. For example, you couldn't follow people. So I mentioned Pippa Malmgren before. She doesn't have a podcast. She's sort of guest. And so if she's in a guest in a podcast, you can follow her and it will show up. Yeah. And so to me, these were features that I thought would improve podcasting significantly. And they did for me, but unfortunately not for a large portion of people. So Altel got some traction, but not that much traction. They're good features though. I agree. Uh, unfortunately, they weren't enough to turn into a big po po podcast um, offering. So there is traction and I'm very proud of it, but not what I was hoping it would be when, when we started this. Yeah. And so is it still a, a baby in the background? It's alive. Um, I am not as involved in it as I used to yeah. be. I am not not involved. I have a sort of once a month catch up um, and it's coming along. Um, you know, the, the website um, generates some ad revenue enough to pay for the app um, to keep going. Uh, but we were hoping obviously to, to be something very, very big. And the things that we tried weren't able to turn into something very, very big. Perhaps there'll be some new idea or breakthrough. But to date, we were able to get some traction. Um, we've had tens of thousands of downloads as an example, but we were hoping to be having multi-billions of yeah. users and, and, and yeah. that didn't transpire. Yep. Yeah. So there's the owl on the roof. Yeah, that is the owl on the roof. So there's like a patterned owl and there's a bit of fun. Yeah, it's great. Tonight, what are you doing? I'm going to see Bicep, who are electronic, you know, artist play um, with some mates, um, which should be some fun, hopefully. 
Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think they're at Forum. Um, so run around, dance a little bit. Dancing is so good for the soul. Mm-hmm. I think it can be also like a kind of meditation um, in sort of sorts, sort of like surfing is or, you know, things. And so, yeah, I try to see some music, I don't know, at least once a month. It used to be a lot more when I was younger. But, yeah, about once a month, twice a month is what happens now. And so you're back in, when do you go back to New York? On Monday. It's Tuesday today. So I can feel the end coming. Um, Does it feel good or not? A bit of both, like most things. Um, But it's it's nice and warm here at the moment. It's cold (laughs) as hell in New York. (laughs) And I've been spending a bunch of time with my nieces um, and they're not in New York. And so, yeah, um, there are some reasons why I'd like to be here, um, which you can't replace in New York. There are many, many beautiful things about New York, um, but... Those two are not currently things that are in New York, which I value a lot. So, yeah, but it'll be some fun. You know, no, I'm just going to drill. Uh, yeah. When I was, I'd been in the States for quite a while. Yeah. And it was one of the little aha moments that I had. I was lying in bed one night and yeah. I was just like, I felt I was on the other side of the world and I had a lot of friends in America. Yeah. And I love them. Yeah. But they weren't family. Mm. You know, and I just felt like I'd been living over there for so long and then, you know, thinking about your parents and how much time do we all have on earth. Yeah. And, you know, I was trying to create this life and career and blah, blah, blah. But was that at the expense of spending mm. time with people I love? Yeah. And if that's a finite resource. Yeah. And it's not a resource, it's a relationship, but it's also, you know, you can put it under any kind of terms. But that was a big part of why I was like, ah, oh, fuck this, I'm going home. Mm. And yeah, and, and, and I don't know, you know, you've just got to beat to the, uh, you got to dance to the beat of your own drum. Yeah. And for, for me, that took a long time to have that moment because I was dead set. I wanted to live in America. Yeah. And then some people just go and live other places and it's like, it's fine for them. So it's, yeah. Yeah. Well, I think they say the quality of your relationships is the quality of your life. I don't think it's that simple, but it, it's a huge component. Um, and so to me, one of the things that's really interesting about New York, at least in the areas that I'm in, so I'm in, I'm in Brooklyn or say lower Manhattan, 80% of people didn't grow up in New York. Like even the Americans aren't New Yorkers, they're from another place in America or whatever. And so it's so transient and that's good in some respects because if you go there, most people remember being new and so they're quite welcoming to invite you to things, but also they don't stay there forever. Um, so they will leave, like, you know, they've got a good job where they're going to go to another place or if they want to have kids, New York is a great place. It is extraordinarily expensive <laughs> and I'm not necessarily sure it's the greatest place to have children. Uh, and part of Melbourne, like, it is less transient. Like, the people here, a lot of them grew up here. They didn't, you know, don't travel around. And that's good and bad, but also it means that the friends you have don't move away after two years. And so they might be around. And if you want really good quality relationships, I think longevity is a core component. It's like, people that I've known for 20 years, it's much easier to have a deep relationship and to know about things than people I've known for four months or for two years. And so to me, that's actually a feature of Melbourne that the, there isn't as many new people. And I think 20-year-old Duncan would have called that a bug, but you know, 38-year-old Duncan calls it a feature. Um, you say a bug? Yeah, bug versus a feature. Something can either be a bug, which is bad, or a feature, which is good. Um, oh, yeah, a bug so, system, yeah. Yeah, so, so it's so funny. Like So many things that I thought of as bugs as a 20-year-old now I think of as features. Um, and then also a whole lot of things I didn't even understand. So again, I didn't realize you could create new things as a 20-year-old. Um, like you, for instance, my job, I create. You can't apply for my job. Um, and so that's interesting. Like there's one of the reasons I think to move to New York is it's probably got the biggest job market on earth. Um, but if you are able to create your own job, then you can do it anywhere. Um, and so to me, 
from a job perspective, there isn't the same motivation to move to New York as there might be for a lot of other people where there is a job they can apply for there that they can't do in Melbourne or something, as an example. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. So, man, your brain, it just moves very quickly. (laughs) Did you find, did you, like, was high school boring? Again, like, so I don't believe I started to do upgrades to my mind until my first real job. Uh, Before that, I was kind of drifting through life. So I was just going down the path that was laid out in front of me um, and not making my own path. Um, My motivation was to try to get a good job to earn good money, not to try to learn because it was fun, not to try to help improve the world. I didn't even really know you could. Like I was extraordinarily naive. um, But I also think like, you know, hopefully as life goes on, you you sort of learn more. And so um, high school, I was good at maths and science and not good at the humanities. Um, and, but I, yeah, I suppose the math and science part came easily to me uh, and the, and the English part as an example, like no matter how hard I worked, I couldn't get better at it. It was like a black box. Um, so some parts were sort of, I suppose, relatively straightforward and other parts just were like a, a total confusion. Um, I don't know if that helps. Yeah. Uh, do, yeah. So, okay. Mm-hmm. Uh, I, I like that you call it upgrades. Yeah. Um, and I think, I don't know if I'm upgrading, but I'm definitely conscious that I'm more of a sponge and I find YouTube just an extraordinary awesome. teacher. Yep. And, uh, I, I spent a lot of hours on there just deep diving. And I think everybody does these days. That's why everyone yeah. sort of seems to be more on point with a lot of things. Like you want, like, you know, I love editing software and I just yeah. spend so much time yeah. YouTubing, yeah. you know, camera gear, this and that. It's just, it's such a you know, amazing. It is amazing that no matter what it is that you can think of, you can just type it into a search engine or yeah. YouTube and it's bang, it's there. Yeah. It's really rare that you put something in and it's not there. Yeah. I remember when I first started to find some things interesting. Um, so again, first job was like learning about why do you think a share price is going to go up or down? I then started to worry a little bit that I would run out of interesting things because literally everything before that, not everything, but the stuff that I was learning for school or university was in the boring category. And maybe the stuff I was learning outside, like I quite liked cars. My father liked cars as an example. Um, and I, I found a sliver of stuff that was interesting and I was like, oh God, I'm going to run out of this at some point. Um, and now what I've come to believe is like, so, you know, the amount of stuff that humanity has made goes up massively. And even if you read as hard as possible, like you're reading at six times speed every morning for two hours, which is what I do. You can only ever know. Two hours, d- six times speed. Yeah. So I do like 12 hours of one time human consumption by 8 a.m. every morning. An average book is about eight to 10 hours long. So in aggregate, I'm consuming more than a book's worth of content, but I do it across different mediums each morning. Yeah. So that some of it's reading, some of it's audible, some of it's. Yeah. So probably an hour and a half is audio and half an hour is written. So half an hour of that will be sitting, you know, with breakfast in front of a computer, reading through things. And the other hour and a half is getting up, going to the gym, you know, coming back, you know, making breakfast, et cetera. Yeah. yeah. So, well, as you said, like you can, you can always find things on YouTube. And so to me, it, I used to worry that interesting things would run out, but now it's the opposite. The world only ever gets more interesting. And because the creation, you know, there's 8 billion people on earth now, they're only ever making more. So no matter how hard I go, I won't be able to run out of things. And the more you know about something, the more interesting it is. And I know more about more components of life. It used to be that almost everything was boring. So when you know nothing about anything, like 18-year-old Duncan, nothing is interesting. And now 
I've kind of leveled up. Well, okay, well, let's do finance. Okay, let's do economics. Okay, let's do politics. Okay, let's do geopolitics. Okay, let's do sociology. Okay, let's do, you know, education, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. And so you kind of find all of the core verticals and you get to a kind of minimum sufficient understanding of content that you can kind of understand the, or, or at least listen to almost anything there is and have some basis to be able to understand it. It's not gibberish. Um, and so now almost everything is interesting. And so you see the opposite problem. I used to have to find a reason to get myself to pay attention, to try to learn the thing I needed to at university. And now I have to fight myself to not deeply diving into something interesting to do nothing. Um, so the opposite. I didn't have any antibodies built up to do nothing, you know, to, because I didn't need to. Because, you know, doing work took energy. Now it takes energy to not like, oh, but there's this interesting thing on YouTube or wherever else it is that you want to look at. Like, no, no, no. Today we're relaxing. So you're not allowed to do that because otherwise your mind will kick into gear. And at the end of the day, you won't have done any relaxing. Um, so it's like the opposite problem that I had 20 years ago. Duncan, fucking hell, man, your mind. What's this? That oh, actually is a Yavi, but it was meant to be a, a lobster. And part of this came from Jordan Peterson. So I probably agree with 50% of what Peterson says and don't agree with 50%. Um, I think you, you know, it is the mark of intelligent mind to consider an idea without accepting it. Um, and so you should be listening to multiple people from different perspectives on most of the major topics. Um, and trying to understand why they think this thing and then trying to understand what percentage you agree with, what percentage you're not sure and what percentage you don't agree with. And so even myself, like if I look back on, like, you know, any year you don't destroy a core belief is a year wasted, Charlie Munger. And there's a number of core beliefs that I have, you know, destroyed in, in 2022. Um, and so there was a period where I discovered Jordan Peterson like five or six years ago or something. And so you find out about a person and then you go quite deep. And now I don't listen to that much of what he says or anywhere near as much as I used to. And he had a part which is that lobsters and us had were like, you know, whatever, the same thing 300 million years ago, I think he said. And the, the way, same what? That we, like, we, were, we descended from the same thing, like a fish oh, wow. 300 okay, million yeah, years ago. Okay, yeah. And yep. that he uses an example in his book where I'm going to get this slightly wrong, but basically the more successful lobsters have more serotonin. And that they stand up straight and strong. And the ones that are less successful have less serotonin and they cower. And you can see this in humans. Mm. So humans that are not doing so well in life, you see them sort of cowering and not holding themselves well. And humans that are holding themselves, you know, well. And you can measure the serotonin levels. And serotonin is kind of one of the happy hormones in humans that have been doing well, whether it's like, you know, doing well at work or they've got good healthy relationships or their, you know, physical, you know, bodies in good shape have higher serotonin levels. And so there is a... Um, parallel between lobsters and humans and yeah so this was the sort of thing we talked about for a little while and my friend bought me this what was meant to be a lobster to sort of commemorate that thing as a sort of gift um, so that's where that came from you know yeah. they have an amazing lifespan as well how long do they live for like they can live over 100 years what i did not know that yeah i oh, only cool. just learned that yeah um i was down in king island recently and cool. there was a big cray on the wall and then yeah. someone uh, came up you know, and we googled it and it was a long time they live a long time well some so yeah some of them get the, the, the good, <laughs> yes the good serotonin ones they, they live a long time yeah um jordan peterson i yeah. like I, I i know what you mean yeah some of it's too much mm. but god damn it he says a lot of things that make a lot of sense i agree about yeah all of it almost all that's very interesting but i don't agree pretty agree with 50 percent of it yeah so who is your favorite like modern day philosopher? Would you call him that? Oh, well, philosophy means love of knowledge, as I understand it, philosophy. Um, and if you use that love definition... Love of knowledge. Yeah, love of knowledge. 
um, then many people can fall into the bucket of philosophers. Um, and so to me, it's like who has a broad understanding of the world and who has a, a view of those different things which bend towards helping improve the world, not bend towards making the world worse. And also then there's your message and your messaging. So that's your message. Do you know a lot about different fields and is your view of those fields helping make the world better or help making the world worse? And then the messaging is how you convey that to others. And are you doing that in a positive some way or a negative some way? So the two key questions to think about a, a conversation is one, what did I learn at the end? And two, do I want to have another conversation with that person? And if you have yes to both those things, I think you've had a good conversation. And so to me right now, if I think about it, the person that probably comes out, uh, you know, the first person to mind um, would be Mark Andreessen from Andreessen Horowitz. He seems to know about every single thing that people ask him. And I believe the way that he puts things, the messaging is extraordinary. And so one of the things that I think Peterson could improve at is I find his messaging can be quite terse. Um, and he can be very absolute, um, which means that he can push people into opposition. Um, and so whilst I think his message can be very good, his messaging can, I think, do himself a disservice at times. So Mark Andreessen is probably the person who first comes to mind that I would be like, yeah, that person's awesome. What about comedians? Uh, comedians, um, I think there's, there's quite a few. So who would, who would my favorite? Like, I mean, I think everyone likes Chappelle. <laughs> yeah, yeah, um, the goat. And he... You know, I think he's able to, to breach topics because I think he's got quite a good political view or at least he can talk about political things in a way that a broad spectrum of people will listen to and understand and think about. Um, who was I listening to something recently? I mean, I listened to quite a lot of comedians. I don't necessarily follow them that closely, if that makes sense. Like I'll just no, listen totally. to their, their yeah. Netflix special, but I don't know much about them beyond that. No, I don't know. Um, like, they're probably pretty private people. Yeah, you know, like, sometimes they'll speak in podcasts. So I don't... Um, I don't know, spend that much time listening to comedians interviewed in podcasts, but yeah, I will yeah. like, I'll try to watch a couple of specials on Netflix a week, but I also speed like up Netflix. Um, yeah, I do. Um, do I agree with everything that he says? No, but you know, no, totally. Uh, but but like, he's down the line, right? He's, there's, some of it's like, holy fuck, did he just say that? Yeah, I know. Um, and I think it's good. I think he, you know, has some strong views. <laughs> um, and I think it's, so to me, you, you can and should listen to people that have different points of view to you. And people that have different points of view don't necessarily mean that they're people you don't like or whatever. And so to me, I think it's very, very important to listen to people that have different points of view to you do that you, and to be able to try to understand why they have that, not to just dislike them. And I think well, that's isn't it building tolerance. Yeah, that's part of it. Um, and I think it used to be more like, you know, the whole Voltaire, I disagree with what you say, but I will fight to the death for your right to say it. And I feel that's antithetical to some of canti cancer culture, which is I disagree with what you say and I will fight to the death to get you cancelled. So that's not how I think society should be. And I do agree that, you know, free speech is the bedrock of society, literally the single most important value there is because that is the value which can update all other values, whether it's like, I don't know, euthanasia, immigration, you know, climate change, whatever. Yeah. Without free speech, you can't update this. And so I believe at the current time, we are not helping have a diversity of opinions. In fact, the opposite. You have to say the thing that is accepted or else you get cancelled. Totally, yeah. And if I, you don't, even discussing different points of view can get you cancelled. Yeah, completely. Yeah. Or wiped off YouTube or yep. wiped off Google or, yep. you know, like it's incredible. The yeah. people who are just because people don't, it doesn't fit the mold of the the way we're moving as a society to fit the boomer, whatever the fuck it is that's yeah. driving the media. Yeah. I, I don't know. It seems contrived. 
Yeah. Uh, well, I mean, I think you want to try to, like, part of the media job is to work to have the right facts that you know. So you can see, okay, well, was this politician being corrupt or, or whatever else it is? Say, was Donald Trump being corrupt? Yeah, probably. It was, you know, Hunter Biden getting paid for a job that he shouldn't necessarily have had? Yeah, probably, right? Um, so you want to have the right facts needed, but then you want to have a diverse set of opinions about what the synthesis of those facts are. Um, and to me, one, when actually having the right facts come out, they seem to be getting a bit censored is part of what it seems to show the Twitter files have said. Uh, the FBI wasn't necessarily helping have the right facts come out. But more than that, we don't seem at the current time to be wanting to support hearing a diverse set of opinions about what to do. Uh, and I think that that is not necessarily the path towards updating our values and towards having a healthy pluralistic society. Uh, and so to me, it doesn't appear that we are moving forward on free speech at the current time, which I see as a, a, a bad thing for society. You completely. Yeah. And do you, this is sound conspiratory, Yeah. but would you say that's because there is an agenda behind the direction that we're moving or, and to shut down the naysayers on, on that? Or do you think it's just because we're just getting so sensitive and people don't, they just want to live in the bubble? They say the path to hell is paved with good intentions. Um, and so to me, I think there are some very well-intentioned people that think that they should not necessarily have certain views said. So there's the whole thing, like whatever the, the famous case from the 70s, where some people wanted to have a Nazi rally and a Jewish lawyer got up and defended their right to have this in America. And so you don't necessarily need to agree with what someone says to believe they should have the right to say it. Uh, and so... I think that shutting down free speech is shutting down our ability to update our viewpoints um, and that that is happening more and more. Um, and so to me, I don't think that there's bad agenda on these sides. I think they're trying to help, um, but I'm not sure that they necessarily are helping. I think that some stuff is actually, there's a second order unintended consequence that more than offsets their first order intended benefit. Um, and so you have to either, either everything is, either every value is equally valuable or not. And it's conceivable. Sorry, what did you say? So each value is equally valuable or they're not equally valuable. Right. And I think that they're probably not equally valuable. And I think it's conceivable that free speech is the most important value because it's the value which updates all other values. I agree. Yeah. And so therefore maintaining free speech and free speech doesn't mean you can say anything. It just means all legal speech. What's so for instance, you can't incite hate, you can't do libel, et cetera, et cetera. You can't do sedition. Um, and, yeah, you can't even discuss different viewpoints for certain things without being cancelled. You may agree with, for instance, whatever, you know, the, the, the woke narrative is, as an example. And if you discuss something else as an academic at the moment in the universities, you can get kicked out of academia. And I don't think that's necessarily healthy for updating our values, which is what I think the most important thing is. So we should be looking to after free speech as a, a crucial and perhaps the most important of all values. Question. Having not been to university myself, mm. I have a romantic idea of what university would be. Sure. And um, I would say it's there to go and learn and um, challenge, um, you know, viewpoints and be schooled by your lecturer and, so da, 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 and it's an open discussion and uh, expanding of the mind as opposed to just learning a certain set of principles on whatever the topic is and then next. Uh, and from everyone that I've been talking to lately who is educated in very different ways, obviously yourself, you know, my brother, uh, my 
stepsister uh, friends it seems like it's it's quite like it's there's no room for open thinking like the like when you see it depicted in a movie and students are challenging the lecturer or having this it's it's just like get him in get him out it's a business almost mm-hmm. um and it's sounding more and more unhealthy the modern university to me as a like just closing down of the mind almost as a, then opening it up just what would you what would you say? Would you could you school me on that? Oh, look, so I, I haven't been to a university recently, um, and so I think that it possibly would be fair to say that. I think you've seen certain academics being kicked out for having a viewpoint which is, in my understanding, legal, but not necessarily the viewpoint that other people would want it to be, and so they might be accused of being a bigot because they don't agree with a certain viewpoint. And so should we have a diversity of viewpoints? Yes. Should people be entitled to them? Yes. I think, you know, John Stuart Mill's harm principle, you're enabled to do whatever you want as long as it doesn't harm others. So I think you can live however you want if it doesn't harm others. And I would like to be able to live however I want as well. So if someone wants to live, like, I don't know, monogamy, have children, cool. If someone wants to have polygamy, no children, cool. You know, like, I don't mind. You know, you do you, right? (laughs) Um, But you can't sort of be telling people this. If someone wants to change their pronouns, be my guest. You know, if someone doesn't want to, be my guest, you know? And so to me, telling people that they have to agree with something isn't the way that I would necessarily go about it. It's more about allowing people to live in different ways. But it kind of, I think it's getting more, you have to be proactively agreeing with something. And if you aren't, you are implicitly allowing badness to occur. And so I would hope that we are having an increasingly pluralistic society, which allows more diversity of how people want to live, like more diversity of jobs, more diversity of lives, et cetera, things you consume, um, which, you know, means diversity of ideas. Uh, and so allowing different people to think different ways is a feature and not forcing people to, to conform with your way, I think, is a feature. Yep. Duncan, on that note, <laughs> thank you so much. My pleasure. I've really enjoyed talking to you, man. Likewise. I just cannot believe the speed at which your mind operates. <laughs> uh, you do talk very quickly, but I think it's, it's, it's a great um, feature. So, anyway, Thank you so, so much. thanks. Appreciate it. Thank you for coming and spending the time to have a podcast with me. Sorry about the yabby there. <laughs> <laughs> My pleasure. Okay. All right, speak soon. Okay, ciao. Bye. Bye. Well, there you have it. There was my chat with Duncan Anderson. Now, I told you, um, could you keep up? Could you keep up with Duncan's mind? Um, like, like, is it possible that you could get your brain and body to function at that level? Um, I just don't know that mine would and does. I'm s- slow. I'm slow in the mornings, that's for sure. If you're out there, Duncan, thank you so much. Um, I really appreciate it the conversation and you inviting me into your home. I really am for the, for everyone else. Uh, I, I thank you for lending me your ears. Um, I hope you're doing well out there in the, this futuristic year of 2023. Um, and the conversations are reflecting that number, aren't they? Like AI, what the fuck is it? Where's it going? Um, where is it all going? Anyway, we know that, It's going somewhere. (laughs) That's for sure. Mark my words on that one. Okay. Until next time. Adios. Adios.